This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete so He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Swing a line drive, slice down the right field line toward the corner. Springer back, looking up, and this one is gone. It hits the foul pole, and the Nationals lead. Howie Kendrick has done it again. A slicing two-run homer off the right field foul pole. Do you believe it, Howie Kendrick? Part two. Nationals three and the Astros two. The kick in. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. Remember where you are. So you remember where you are right now at 11.50 Eastern Time. Remember where you are on October 30th, 2019, when the Washington Nationals finished the fight from the depths of a forgettable 19-31 start. They have climbed to the top of baseball's highest peak. Here's Chris Townsend. Wow, is he juiced. That's it, baby. It's over. And it is all over. Where were you? I was on my couch. Don't forget wherever you were, I was on my couch. Cody, where were you? Uh, On my couch in disbelief. Disbelief? Granky should have finished that game. But that's a discussion. Your boy, your boy doesn't have the moxie or the mental toughness to finish that game. He was mowing down that order until the seventh inning, and then AJ Hinch home run walk. What about the what about the uh, home run walk? Do, do, do you want me to give you? Do you want me to give you Grinky's numbers again in, in clinching games where his ERA is over eight and he's never won a game? He didn't lose that game either. Oh, he's never won a big game. That's not his fault. That last night was not his fault. Uh, he's never won a big game. That's just a reality. I hate to tell you, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I just, some guys have the moxie to step up and close things out, like a Josh Beckett at Yankee Stadium. Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, you know, guys at Jack Morris, where you're not taking those guys out. I know Grinky didn't have a high pitch count, but you give up a home run and walk in modern day, ba- hey, put it this way. And this is not how I want to start the show off. He just derailed me. 
But that's how Jeffrey Luno and their data people, that's how they feel about it. Kudos to Davey Martinez because Davey didn't panic. Davey stuck with Scherzer because Scherzer's his guy. He said, you know what? That guy got me here, and that guy's going to win it for me if we're going to win it. And they stayed with Scherzer. Was he great? No. Was he in trouble? What he did? He gave him some innings. He gave him some innings. I mean, kudos to so many different people with the Nationals. Max Scherzer two days ago could not lift his elbow above his shoulder. If you did not hear the story, he basically couldn't fall out of bed. I mean, it was so bad that, wow, I'm getting this major error on my computer. I haven't even seen this before. Google Chrome critical error. Security systems has detected threatening attempt to gain at, Jesus, what the hell is going on? Uh, Malfunction of Townie's computer. So we're going to have to restart this thing. All my notes wiped out, but I don't need notes today. After watching that last night, I mean, that was that was something special. The Washington Nationals, you think how long it's been for the Nationals. And you think about this franchise. Having lost Major League Baseball multiple times in our nation's capital to then gain back baseball. And the Montreal Expos. And to think that there's a lot of guys out there that I could tell you that are very happy that we're Expos, knowing that there still is that connection to to the organization. And I thought it was pretty cool to watch the celebration of a ton, and I mean a ton, of veteran players. How are you not happy for Ryan Zimmerman? This guy's Mr. National. He's the, the original National. How are you not happy for Max Scherzer, who is one of the great warriors in the game? This is a guy that took a bunt off of his face, broke his nose, had two black eyes, pitched through that, which was truly amazing. Steven Strasburg. Steven Strasburg back in the day was shut down, and it fried everybody. And now he's the World Series MVP. I think you can say now, if I'm a Nats fan, I forgive Mike Rizzo for shutting him down. What was that, 2012? For shutting him down. Because now, look where they are. And Strasburg is your World Series MVP. Scherzer and Strasburg started five wins this postseason. Joining Madison Baumgartner, Chris Carpenter, Cole Hamels, Kurt Schilling, and Andy Pettit as the only pitchers ever to do that. Sad to say this, last night was also the first time since 2001 both starters went at least five innings. How pathetic is that? But starting pitching, and you're seeing, starting pitching, and not only that, your starters coming in out of the bullpen to close it out. Your best arms. We're taking our best arms, hands on deck. There is going to be a controversy in Houston. 
more than just the con the controversy after the ALCS. But Garrett Cole didn't get into the game. Garrett Cole, the most dominating pitcher on the planet as of right now, did not get into this game. And I, I, I guess I understand the rationale behind A.J. Hinch, where A.J. says, if he was coming in, I want to I give him a clean inning. But Garrett Cole has the kind of stuff that can get anybody out. I bring him in at any time, if it was me. I am with Cody. I, I would have gone, I would have tried and get Grinky through seven and then give me Cole eight and nine. But they didn't do it. And they went to the bullpen, and the bullpen failed. There be, there, there's going to be scratching heads going on, I guarantee you, in Houston today about this series and how this series went down. And it really is mind blowing. Mind-blowing that you had two teams that essentially could not play well at home. It just doesn't make sense. How could it be at your ballpark you don't play well? And that you leave your ballpark and you're way better offensively on the road. That's what happened in this series. You know, when we look at, I think down the line, we will not look at this as a great series simply because of the scores. I mean, the games weren't close. I mean, they weren't close. But I do think there was a lot of interesting things that happened in this series that we will be able to look back on. Like, the road team won every game. In a best-of-seven series, this has never happened before in any of our three major sports. It's never happened in the NBA. It's never happened in hockey. It's never happened in baseball. Where the road team won every single game. And probably the best thing that I'm going to like taking out of this is it's got some people kind of rethinking some things. That maybe, just maybe, we should be rethinking how much starting pitching should be more back in vogue than it has been lately. Too many teams terrified of pitch counts. Too many teams terrified of going through the lineup a third time. Why did these two teams get here? Why do you think the A's got a shot next year? Dan Feinstein, Feinstein, I should say, the assistant general manager for the Oakland Athletics, joined us yesterday. The A's are giddy about what they got going starting pitching. Are they giddy about the bullpen? Probably not. Going to need some work on that bullpen. But why are the A's going to go into next season not as this tremendous underdog because still no one really was picking the A's this year no one thought they'd repeat 97 wins 
But with all the starting pitching they have coming back, compare that in division. There is an opportunity next year for the A's to have a better rotation than the Houston Astros. Because it it doesn't seem like Garrett Cole is coming back. The A's rotation, knock on wood, stays healthy, could be the best in the division. Why are you looking at me like that? You're giving me like the Bregman after a home run. Well, I'm not carrying the bat, but it's just crazy here. Think of that. Well, why? After two guys, what do they have? Well, they're getting Lance McCullers back. He Come, was coming back from Tommy John. So we'll know. Maybe he he might be throwing harder. It's no. It's a crazy thing that the A's are going to the best but, rotation. But, but a guy coming back. I mean, how many guys, How many starts is he going to make? And we saw we saw Manaya make some starts. He didn't have Tommy John, but we saw Manaya make some starts after shoulder surgery. Okay, but it, right now the Houston Astros have two guys. Well, McCullers missed the entire season already. Yeah. I so mean, so he should be healthy by next no, year. No, no, no. You cannot assume that coming back from Tommy John. Do I need to get Chris Bassett on the line? Hey, Johnny Cueto made a couple of starts, and he only missed like a full year. Put it this way: if Lance McCullers is only making a couple of starts, I mean, I, 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 I do believe he'll come back and pitch, but he's not going to give you thirty-three starts. Probably not, and you're probably going to lose Wade Miley. Then all, also. The, then all their other guys that they had. I remember we went over this earlier. A bunch of their guys they thought they were going to be good young pitchers for him got hurt. Right now, they got two pitchers because Garrett Cole is not coming back. Yeah, it didn't seem like he wanted to come back. Uh, and also, their top pitching prospect struggled this year in the minors. And didn't he get Whitley. hurt, too? Yeah, Forrest Whitley struggled for them. So. so, that's what I'm saying. Like, right now, if I look at what the Rangers have, I look at what the Angels have, and I look at what possibly the Astros, if they don't offer Garrett Cole the most money. You know what? Let's break this down. Because last night, I thought it was kind of Bush League. Not the way to handle something. I know it sucks to lose, but there is a way to handle yourself professionally. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of bush league a little bit in this series. I, it's it's been a while. To, I mean, other than the games, five four, twelve three, four one, eight one, seven one, seven two, six two. A lot of intrigue inside a series where only one game technically was close. But there were some moves in this World Series where it's like, yeah. We're going to talk about that and talk about Garrett Cole after the game. Doesn't sound like he's coming back. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. What happens to Baby Shark? Do we keep that running? I think the Nats have to. I think it's one of those things that you keep around. Even Parra's not there. You have to keep it. The fans love it. I mean, they were doing it yesterday after the game, trolling the Nationals or trolling the Astros at, at Nationals Park for their viewing party. All right. Baby Shark. Uh, just crunched a number for you. And it's not – I don't, Cody, I don't think you're going to like this. But uh, Zach Greinke, in games where this was his fourth career start with a ta- with a chance to clinch a postseason series, where he went six and a third and gave up two. 
You want to know what his overall numbers are in those games now? 0-2 with a 6.64 ERA. It's not very good. Hate to tell you. Vanessa Richardson from NBC Houston is going to join us coming up here at 1.30. I got to meet Vanessa in Houston taking on the Texans. And when the Raiders were taking on the Texans, and I was like, hey, you're going to be covering the World Series when it gets back, right? So she does all these different, uh, all great stuff. And, and you can follow her on Twitter, at Sports Vanessa. And she actually talked to Anthony Rendon's parents after the game. Anthony Rendon is from Houston. What a special moment it was for him. So we will talk about her interviews after the game. What's it like now? In We were going to bring her on whether they win. We'll get the fan reaction. Well, we'll get the fan reaction and the loss, too. So she's going to be coming up here at 1.30. The craziness of playing on the road. So when the Nationals were in D.C. versus Houston, the Nationals scored only three runs, hit one home run, and hit 175. The Astros had 19 runs, six home runs. They love Nats Park, right? The numbers in Houston, the difference is crazy. It's crazy both ways. In Houston, the Nationals outscored the Astros 30-11. to 11. 30-11. To get, to get out hit in your own ballpark like that? And then, not only that, they got out homered 10 to 5. The craziness of the 2019 World Series. Garrett Cole after the game. Do we have the audio ready? Garrett Cole basically said, I'm not on this team anymore. I'm a free agent. And even wore a hat that had the logo of Scott Boris's company. I mean, you battled all year with these guys. These are your guys. I don't know. To me, I thought it was a bad look. Let's hear from Garrett Cole, who did not get in the game, and obviously he was not thrilled about it. Did you expect to get in the game today? Uh, if we were winning, yes. Went for a safe no one. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it would have depended on how he used um, his other guys. That was decided ahead of time. You, did you say, what was your input? Hey, I'll be ready at any point, or did you decide, well? Well, we just went over the game plan, and he uh, uh, laid out uh, the most advantageous times uh, to use me, and um, we didn't get to that position. How gut-wrenching is this? That's not fun. Garrett, what will you take away from the two years you spent here, just kind of looking back at your entire Astros tenure? Yeah, a lot of good friendships. Um, you know, uh, obviously um, learned a lot about pitching from my teammates, from the pitching uh, coaches and pitching staff. Um, you know, learned a lot more about the game from AJ. Um and it was just a pleasure to play in the city of Houston. How much have you thought about your future? Where you like to be? Not much. 
Garrett, when we used to hunt the, end of, the end of every season is abrupt, but the way this one ended, them beating you guys four times here, I guess, how is it hard to believe that they came in and beat you guys four times in this ballpark? Um, uh, it's just, uh, it's, I mean, they're a good team, so, like, I don't want to say, like, Oh, I'm you know so shocked that they could win four games, you know. But um, yeah, I would have, I would have, I think both teams probably would have imagined that somebody would have been able to defend their home turf at least once. After the way you pitched in Game Five, how confident were you you guys would get one of them here? Um, I mean, about it. I mean, our mindset was just uh, to keep keep doing what we had been doing. So it's confident as I guess we were going into Game Five. <coughs> I don't know. Chances of coming back here? I don't know. Garrett, the, the experience like of winning. I've made that clear already. Yeah. Experience of, of having won as much as you did in these two years here. Did that kind of give you a little bit of, of a renewed joy of just pitching in big leagues? And it just seemed like, you know, when you, when you have these kinds of chances to win the World Series. Oh, I mean, I just think the group is just so unique. I mean, you know, I said it earlier, I'm going to have some friends from this clubhouse probably for the rest of my life. Um, so you just don't take situations like that for granted. And uh, winning a lot uh, is fun. So, yes. Well, here's the story. When an Astros representative came up to him about going to talk to the media, he declared, I'm not an employee. I'm not employed by the team. And then later he said, I guess as a representative of myself. As he got in front of that group of reporters right there. And once again, not wearing an Astros hat, wearing a hat that's a Scott Boris hat. So you can sit there and you can say, I don't know. Yeah, you know, you can play that role, but you basically declared, I'm out of here. Unless Jim Crane and the Houston Astros want to break the bank and pay him more money than anybody else. I don't think I've ever seen that. I mean, he did praise A.J. Hinch. I mean, it's it's from what people said who were there, it was obvious he wasn't a happy camper. He didn't get into that game. And I don't blame him. You only have so many shots to win a World Series. He may never get another chance. It's tough to get to the game, let alone win the game. And if you're sitting out there going, every arm you're putting out there is not better than me. You know, the bold move would have been Grinky for six, put Cole in seven, eight, nine. Give him that clean inning. And let him go three and say, this is it. Take 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 us home, big boy. But I've never seen anything like that. After, after you lose the World Series, you basically, I'm not an employee anymore. I mean, you're sitting there in uniform. I'm not a, an employee anymore. I'm a free agent. Let me put my agent's company's hat on. Where does he help the most? I mean, if he goes to Anaheim, a lot of speculation is he's going to Anaheim. 
You know, the Dodgers don't want to the Dodgers don't seem like they want to spend money like they used to. The Padres have been brought up cuz the Padres have been wanting to spend some money, but why would you why would you go there? You're a premier free agent. Why would you go to a place that's not going you're not they're not beating the Dodgers anytime soon whether you got Garrett Cole or not. He's from Orange County. Angels right there. I mean, the Angels are the team that makes sense. And then the other team that makes sense is the New York Yankees because the Yankees, they need pitching. And everybody knows they need pitching, and everybody's harping on Brian Cashman right now. Why didn't you go out and get Cole? Why didn't you go out and get Corbin? Why didn't you go out and get Verlander? You're the New York Yankees. Well, Brian Cashman said the other day, well, you know, they gave better offers, whether it was better trades or better money. And you're like, wait a minute, aren't you the Yankees? Hal Steinbrenner is different from George Steinbrenner. A lot of these teams, seen with the Boston Red Sox right now, they want to get under the luxury tax. They don't want to break the bank. And I don't know, I don't know how long I would break the bank for this guy. You're going to give him what? Well, we already went over it. Forty-three year, three hundred million, forty-three million a year okay, over seven want, years. <laughs> if you want, okay, if you want three hundred million, and you gave him seven years, that'd be forty-three million a year. And it's right around like actually, it's like three hundred one, pretty much, if you round up. Uh, Major League Baseball player Players Association released the one hundred thirty-one free agents as of today. Garrett Cole is a free agent officially on this list. By the way, three A's on the list: Homer Bailey. Tanner Roark and Brett Anderson are the three A's on the list, which we already knew. Yeah, you're not going to see any of them back. Yeah, so Cole's on there with a bunch of other Astros, including Martin Maldonado and Robinson Chirinos, both of their catchers. So the Astros and a couple bullpen arms, so they got a lot of work to do. But Garrett Cole, saw this name. I saw a team floated for him earlier. I don't know how much truth I put to it, but what about the Mets? The Grom, Syndergaard, Cole, because you're going to lose Zach Wheeler, so you got to replace him somehow. It is all about I, – I guess the bottom line is it's all about whether you want to go where the best fit is for you to win or are you just looking to make the most money. Coming up next, we're heading to Houston right here on A's Cast Live. Liam Hendricks was on A's Cast Live, and he explained why he wants to earn the closer role again in 2020. I, I don't want to go into spring training as like being a shoe in to be a closer. I want to be able to win that spot again because that's the only way that I know how to go out there and, and put my best foot forward. So if I go out there and start being complacent about anything like that, that's usually when I get into trouble. So I need to go out there and be like, no, 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 I'm winning this position. I'm the mess man for the job on this team. I'm going to go out there and prove to everybody why. To hear the full interview and much more, go to athletics.com slash podcast. This is Chris Townsend. If you're looking for a new mattress, look no further than my friends at nestbedding.com. That's nestbedding.com. You'll get the ultimate mattress for your needs. And green and gold fans, right now, if you use the coupon code Oakland, you'll get 10% off your entire order. That's use the coupon Oakland to get an entire 10% off your order. Remember, nestbedding.com, America's favorite online mattress brand with stores around the Bay Area and around the country. You need a new mattress? You go to nestbedding.com. 
Streaming from the East Bay, Ace Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Oh, it's Halloween! I love it! It really is my favorite holiday. I love Christmas, I love Thanksgiving. But Halloween, trick-or-treating with the kids. I got my house, I mean, I got my house tricked out. People love coming to the house. We get a a, a tremendous amount of trick-or-treaters. I dress up as the Riddler. I'll put a, uh, I'll put a picture up of my at Townsend Radio on Twitter a little bit later. But my Twitter, my, 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 my Riddler outfit is pretty sweet. I have to admit, and the commander is going to see it for the first time as we we'd like to have a little Halloween party with our friends. But you got to dress up. Kids love it. Do we have her? We are now heading to Houston. She is an anchor and sports reporter for NBC Houston. Vanessa Richardson joins us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Vanessa, how are you? I am so good. It's great to hear from you again. It's funny we Matt, I think we were talking about chicken wings in the press box at the Texans Raiders game. So, <laughs> yes, and you had the great recommendation that they weren't that bad, and I was impressed. They really were. I mean, anybody who covers sports knows that food is different in every city, every media. Like some teams are notorious for good food, bad food. I was, I was impressed with the chicken wings. So it's Halloween, and I have I, I have a big Halloween party every year. We're gonna have it at my house tonight. I dress up as the Riddler, and everybody loves oh. the outfit. They love it. Do you dress up and still do Halloween? Yeah. So my whole thing with Halloween is I love to do costumes that are easy, but that are like kind of out of I don't know. Like I was a Ghostbuster my junior year of college. And then I went as Tiffany Amber Thiessen from Saved by the Bell and did the suspenders. And then last year I went as Cindy Crawford and just had to buy a Pepsi can and then wore some, like, killer denim shorts and a wife beater and painted a bowl. So I always like to be creative, but, like, simple creative, if that makes sense. Nicely done. We uh, got to see (laughs) on your Twitter account, uh, pretty cool last night, Anthony Rendon, who's from Houston – went mm-hmm. to rice you got to not only speak with him you got to speak with his parents that had to be a yeah. special moment because it's it's very rare that a guy grows up in a town and then come back he comes back and wins a championship in that town absolutely i mean you look at the fact that he he didn't just grow up in houston his parents are huge houston sports fans he went to Lamar High School, and then he went to Rice University, which is in Houston. It's one of the, you know, you have to be incredibly smart to get in. So he, he had really strong academics, but he is super strong into his Houston pride. And, you know, the fact that every World Series games, you know, that happened in Houston, he had, oh, my God, probably 100 people there. Um, and his parents are just so down to earth and were so I think sometimes we forget that these pro athletes, like their parents are just proud of them like regular parents are. So it was really special. And his mom, you know, told me a story about um, him starting off at the Y and rolling the ball to first base and just like all all this funny stuff. So they were very proud and he was, he was very open. Um, 
think one of the, the last things he said to me in the interview is I, I asked him, I said, how have you been so clutch? Because he was unbelievable in the postseason. And he said, this is baseball. I'm not taking bullets for our country. I'm not, you know, there are people that have it way worse. So I was really impressed with his parents and him. I think about the shock that has to be going on in Houston because when I was there with the Raiders and we were going about town on Friday night and Saturday night watching uh, game three and four, and then obviously the football game was during game five, but the Houston pride everywhere, everything was Astros. Here you got a team that, and you know, as we're the Oakland A's, we get to see the greatness that is the Astros, and you win 107 (laughs) games. And then you come up and you end up losing this series and not winning a game at home. What is it like right now in Houston with Astros fans? I think people are extremely proud of the fact that this has been an unreal team. I mean, there was a lot of disappointment, but more than disappointment, honestly, because most people that are Astros fans, obviously, they won a World Series two years ago. So more than disappointment, I think it's just shock because – of the way they lost because of the fact that no one won a home game this entire World Series. And the Astros, who had the best record in baseball, were even better at home. Like, that was their thing. And so um, I think more than disappointment because, you know, again, like everyone has the World Series from a couple years ago that they look at. I think it's just shock. And then, um, you know, Garrett Cole, a free agent, and – um, you know, how uh, Justin Verlander's 35, like how long is, is he going to last? So there's definitely some questions moving moving into next season. Uh, no doubt the window of opportunity for the Houston Astros is now. And just by the way, Garrett Cole, at, and after the game, I'm not an employee of the team, then reluctantly sat down with the media. He puts on the hat that's a Scott Boris label on it, yes. basically saying, hey, I'm a free agent, and uh, he, he, here's here's my agent. Uh, it, just, it just seems like, you know what, I'm out of here. What was the thought there in Houston after he did that? It was basically that. It, Garrett Cole's like, super funny and eccentric in his own way. And I actually covered him when he was with the Pirates organization, um, the AAA Indianapolis Indians. I was an MC for them when I was in college. And so he's always had kind of a quirky personality, um, but really nice guy. And at first people were kind of taken aback by the fact that he was like, I don't want to do an interview. I'm not an employee. But then it's like, he could have been joking. Um, so it, it's kind of hard to read into. He's a very sarcastic guy, if that makes sense. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, the, the mood was like, we got to get this last interview. We want to hear what he has to say. And you could tell that he was genuinely touched um, by the Astros organization. He just about 45 minutes ago put a letter on Instagram, um, either Instagram or Twitter, talking about how much he loved the Astros and, his pitching coach in particular, their pitching coach, Brent Strom, who's been in the business for probably 40 years. The guys adore him. The guys, Verland, they all adore Brent Strom. So I do know that Garrett Cole is going to miss a lot of Houston, but um, certainly him wearing his agent's hat, I think, was, um, what's that movie? I think Jerry Maguire, Show Me the Money type that type of deal oh yeah it's like guys you're gonna have to get the pen out and you're gonna have to get the checkbook and you're gonna have to write me a big check if you want to keep me in houston we'll just see if he's gonna be yep if he's gonna be in new york is if he's gonna be in anaheim we will see so you're on the field and what was really cool about this world series as our game is going younger 
this is these are two of the most veteran teams in baseball. And when you saw guys like Scherzer and you saw guys like Strasburg and the emotion, mm-hmm. what was it like to be around those scrums and the emotion of these veteran guys that have had so much heartbreak with the Nationals before? It was it was really incredible. I mean, they were hugging each other and saying we finally did it. Um, just having having a lot of fun, and they all were celebrating with their families. But then they all were celebrating and thanking the fans, um, you know, who have stuck with them through some of their droughts and some of their uh, lesser successful years, we'll call it. So it was really cool. Anytime you see a champion, I don't care if it's the women's final four. I don't care if it's a state hockey, like when you see a team reach that pinnacle and get the trophy and take the pictures and all of that, it's special, but you're right. I mean, the fact that there were so, there are so many guys on that team that are nearing um, and the peak of everyone's career is different, especially in baseball, but you can tell that, you know, some of them are probably reaching the end of their professional careers uh, to see that emotion and, um, to see them hug their parents and their kids run up was it was incredibly special. And going forward for the Astros, so ever since what happened in the ALCS, Brandon Taubman released from mm-hmm. being assistant general manager, and and we know that Major League Baseball came in and did an investigation. They brought guys in from New York. Taubman was fired, mm-hmm. and then it seemed like everybody said, "Okay, let's just get on with the World Series." Now that the <laughs> now that the World Series is over. Do you, do you expect, do you hear anything like there could be more discipline coming down either from the Astros or Major League Baseball as we head into the offseason? That's a really good question. And I know that, you know, obviously I work at a news station. So although I cover sports, um, we had news crews that really investigated that and obviously were on it. Um, so I don't know what happens next. I, I, you know, you never know who with, and every pro sport is different, right? We've seen like the way that the NBA handles things is totally different than the way that the NFL handles things. Um, and it's different than the way the MLB handles things. I was not in the, the clubhouse when that happened. I was in Indianapolis because the Texans were traveling and playing the Colts. And I, I went on that trip because that's where I'm from. So I got to see my family. So I actually was not in the clubhouse when that happened, but, um, but, you know, obviously it was a big deal. Um, the Astros, Jim Crane, Luno, all of them, I think they retracted or apologized or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Um, I don't think it's the last last time that you'll hear of the incident by any means. But I have nothing to confirm that. You know, I, I know you've covered the Indianapolis 500 and the Raiders. We were also in Indianapolis earlier this year, and it was really uh-huh. it was really cool that they gave us a special tour of the Indianapolis 500, the track and all around it. And I try and tell yeah. people, it's so much bigger than you think. Like when you see it on TV, but then when you're standing on the track and you're looking at the turns, and then they allowed our bus. We actually took a couple laps around in our bus. You're like... The magnitude, I can't imagine what it's like on race day. It's insane. And it's one of those things where, like, I mean, if you didn't grow up attending the Indy 500, then it's probably not, like, uh, as special to you. But the the measurements, and I'm trying to look it up online right now because I'm not even, I don't even remember, like, how big it is. But there's a literal, like, all you need to know is that there's a literal golf course in the middle of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Not only is there a golf course, but there's 
then a dirt track within it. And then there's a camper and there used to be or camp, you know, areas where all of their campers, uh, they have luxury campers that the drivers stay in the night before the race. And so it's just like, it's just crazy to see the magnitude of it. And then there's just so much history there as well. Like they, you know, the, the yard of bricks is the original bricks that were um, at the motor speedway. And, and that's where the term kiss the bricks comes from. And then um, there's just, there's a story behind every Indy 500 tra- tradition on why the winners drink milk and um, all of that. So I'm really glad that you got to do that because it is impossible to explain to people that that haven't been there just how big it is and why guys like Mario Andretti and AJ Foyt and Rick Mears, why they wanted to win that race. Sometimes even more than they wanted to win the IndyCar championship, they wanted to win the Indianapolis 500. I got down and kissed the bricks. Yay! Oh, oh yeah. my God, I love that. Oh yeah, you got you got. Oh, we, we, we just, and not only that, when you go into the museum and you see the first car that won, and you saw the original cars and how the evolution oh, of the, the car. Oh yeah, well the guy I can't remember his name, but the one of the main guys who runs the track is a huge Raider fan. So they gave us this special special tour and it was just, it, it was really moving. Oh, I absolutely love that they did that because the the museum and again, the museum is inside this the Indianapolis Motor Speedway like this thing is huge. Um the museum is really special because you also see how the safety has improved and you see um you know, kind of the pictures, and they're upgrading the museum right now to make it more, you know, more technology and add, um, add more. But I can't recommend it enough if you're in Indianapolis and you're looking for something relatively cheap to do, you know, to schedule a tour or go to the museum because the amount of history that has happened there, and you also have to think that's where they have the Brickyard 400, so there's NASCAR history there too, and um, it, it's really special. What, what, what would you say was your favorite part of the museum? The original cars where you had to crank the engine and they're yes. and they're telling us how like they'll still run them. And I'm like going, I can't. Oh, oh, and the other thing is when you first walk in where the cars are, they have the trophy. And so every guy who wins, it's this big silver trophy and they actually put your face it's yeah. on the trophy, but then it shows the average speeds every single year. And to see how the average speed for the winner goes up every – and then I'm thinking, these dudes are going over 200 miles an hour on this track? Are you kidding me? Absolutely they are. It's crazy. And the the thing the, – the other cool thing about it is that um, not only is there so much history, but – and not only have things have – not only have things gotten safer, but when you're coming into Indianapolis and you're like looking, you know, you always look for landmarks. At least I do when I'm landing somewhere. If you really look, you can see the pagoda that lights up at night uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So just the magnitude of it all uh, is really incredible. And um, they, the, the Borg Warner trophy is the trophy you're talking about, the really big one. But they also give the driver that wins a baby Borg. So they have one of their like one of their own to take home. <laughs> um and I'm going to tell you what, if you ever get a chance to go to the actual race, it is unbelievable. Um, it's, it's, it's full. Like I, some, some, a lot of the races don't sell out, but it's, there's hundreds of thousands of people. Um, they sing Back Home Again in Indiana, which for years it was Jim Neighbors that sang it, and then Jim Neighbors passed away. Um, so now they have the guy, and I'm going to space on his name, but the guy that does 
the Chicago Blackhawks national anthem um, does back home again in Indiana and everyone cries and then they have military appreciation and um, the, the owners of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the George family, they're actually from Terre Haute, Indiana, which is where I'm from, about an hour from Indy. Um, the, the classic line, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. It's just so insane and I cannot recommend it's like the Kentucky Derby like you have to go once Vanessa great stuff it was great meeting you and whatever we got anything going on in Houston we're going to be calling yes please do please do great to talk to you guys take care Vanessa Richardson NBC Houston she was all over the place last night you can follow her on Twitter if you want to see all the reaction at sports Vanessa with running around with the Nationals as that was – and then the reports are they that they partied last night. Like, they went large. And I brought up the Indianapolis 500 because, seriously, if you ever get – so on race day, there's like 300,000 people there for the weekend. But they can fit like 300,000. Like, when she was talking about golf courses, she's not a kid. It's like the largest – I couldn't believe how big it is. It's really, really cool. But winning Game 7 of the World Series, also really, really cool. And how are you not happy for a bunch of different guys? Ryan Zimmerman. Think about Ryan Zimmerman. That guy has had to wear all of these bad losses. They have had horrible, and I mean horrible losses. And he's been, he's one of the few guys. He's been with the Nationals his entire career. He first came up when he was 20 years old. He played in 20 games in 2005. Since then, in 15 years, 1,689 games. He's driven in 1,015 RBIs. He's a free agent, right? I'm pretty sure it, Commander. Let me see here. I think I, I think it's the end of his contract. Yeah, he's got a the, the team has an option for this upcoming season for 18 million, or they can. These are my favorite. These are my absolute favorite, and it happens all the time. When a guy's older, team doesn't want him. They still got to pay him to go away. Matt Cain had one of the best ones I've ever seen. They had to pay, like, Matt Cain, uh, what was it, like $6 million buyout or something like that. So Ryan Zimmerman, who's made $133 million in his career, has an option for 2020. And the option's $18 million. It's a team option. So if they say no, they still got to pay him $2 million to walk. Two million. Bye bye. I wish someone had paid me two million to walk out. But I'm happy for him. Long career. He's been Mr. National, you know. Bryce Harper leaves. This guy's been there for a long time. Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer's going into the Hall of Fame. Wouldn't we all agree on that? Scherzer's got three time Cy Young Award winner, dominance. Strasburg, I do not believe will. He may opt out, but I don't think he's leaving. 
I have a national insider, by the way. The professor. Uh, and, and, you know, people who know Strasburg's not a turmoil guy. Strasburg is really kind of, he settles in. I mean, he said it last night, D.C.'s home. I mean, you may pay him a little more money. I don't see him leaving. He shouldn't leave. Now that they've won a World Series, it's a whole different ball game. They're just not the they're not the really good team that 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 can't get it done. They are now World Series champions and I was I was thinking I bet they're going if they do it right they could legitly have one of the best World Series rings of all time. Think about their color combination, red, white and blue. Think about that 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 W that they have. That would be a W in white diamonds. Then you could have like, you know, you could have, you could have red like a ruby. It could be a stone, a ruby with the white interlocking W for your. How sweet would that look? Yeah, the I've always thought the Nationals W is pretty cool. I think that if they don't screw it up. They could really have one of the great World Series rings of all time. It's like the, um, but they don't call it interlocking. What their play-by-play call their W again? A curly W is in the books. The curly W. All right, the curly W. If you ever go to the Baseball Hall of Fame, which I highly recommend, I think it's like on the third floor. You can walk in and see every single ring. The evolution of the World Series ring. And some of them really, like some of them are awesome. And some of them are like, really? Like the, the Toronto Blue Jays World Series rings? They, they, they're not pretty. But I'll tell you one that really is sweet. And you're not going to like this, A's fans. But the 1990 Cincinnati Reds ring, it's a C in diamonds and it's the ruby underneath. It's, 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 and then what stone would that be for the Yankees? That is that an opal would be that dark, that dark. So basically all these Yankee rings have the dark stone underneath, which I think would be an opal, but don't quote me on that. And then they have the interlocking NY and diamonds. They're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. And that's why I can, like if the A's, think about the A's. If the A's can win the World Series, how dope would an A's ring be? Because all the A's rings were just kind of just your standard type of ring. You could do the emerald with the A apostrophe S in diamonds. Or, you know the new hat that, that the A's have come out with, the elephant, with the, uh, the green hat with the white elephant? How about the emerald with the elephant and diamonds? Ugh. I think, though, where I would go if I was to design the A's World Series ring is I would do the emerald with the uh, A apostrophe S in diamonds. I don't know how you do it. They can figure that out. God, I'd love to see an A's World Series ring again. It just makes you hungry. Watching this stuff makes you hungry because it could be the A's. 
The national national show, it can be anybody. Anybody, it's who gets hot at the right time. Nobody proved that more than the Washington Nationals. Are the Washington Nationals pound for pound better than the Houston Astros? I would say no. But that doesn't matter. We don't crown the team with the best record. The best record just gives you one of X amount of spots to compete for the World Series. In modern day sports, you just got to get in. You just got to get in. Unfortunately, the A's have just gotten in and didn't work out. But it really shows you get in and you've got as good a chance as anybody. Because this was an upset. This was the largest World Series upset in 29 years. Let me ask you a question. Did this really feel like an upset? Does this, does this really feel like the, the little engine that could? When you're throwing out Strasburg and Scherzer and you got Rendon and you got Soto, do they really feel like that big of underdogs to you? Not to me because I know I know how well they played after that certain day in May, like certain date. They in have May. the best record since May nineteenth or May, whatever. May twenty fourth, I believe it was. Whatever yeah, they, it is. they 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 won like eighty six games, including the postseason since then. No, it's not an upset to me, but to people who don't watch, you know, might not watch the Nationals or baseball, you know, year round, might think it's an upset. And as you mentioned, how the you know if you're having the best record now, the team that has the best record is now twelve and twenty in winner take all World Series games all time. That's incredible to be the best team in baseball and you're twelve and twenty in winner take all games in the World Series. So the Nationals proved that you don't have to have the best record to win the World Series because um, you know the Dodgers had the best record in the National League and they talked they took them out too. They're the first team to ever beat two teams that won 105 games. I believe the Padres almost did it in '98. They lost to the Yankees, but the Nats are now the first team to do it. So no, it's not to me. No, not an upset. Padres got drilled by the Yankees. They got swept in yeah, that World they, Series. They didn't even win a game. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Now, there is the controversial bases loaded. Tina Martinez, our man Mark Langston on the mound, throw the ball right down the middle for strike three. They call a ball, and then Tino the Bambino hits a grand slam. If that if that doesn't happen, who knows? I'll never forget that going. That's what, Robo-Ump. Robo-Ump, where are you? There was one last night, too, if you remember. And I'm not making an excuse for my guy, Granky, but before he walked Juan Soto, he threw that curveball. They yes. caught the bot- and that was a strike. And yes. that, that was that was an off. That's when everyone's starting to on, you see on Twitter. Well, you don't hashtag want, Robo-Ump. You want, you, you want human error. You don't want Robo-Ump. You don't want the real strikes. The higher strike zone would get called. It would change everything. By the way, the uh, if you look at the uh, Las Vegas, um, the Westgate. Um, Wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah, if you look in, if you look at who the odds are to win the World Series next year. Hold on, coming up next, who's the favorite? You better have where the A's are too. We'll talk about it next, right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam, going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And twenty-nine other MLB clubs. Two-two pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back. It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. 
Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. You know, something you don't think about, like today. Thursday is the day that I drive up to the Raiders facility and I interview John Gruden for the TV show, Silver and Black Show. It's the only time Gruden gets interviewed one-on-one. That's it. You can see it on Saturday night and Sunday mornings on Fox Channel 2. Or 702 if you have Xfinity. So, uh, everywhere I went today in the Raiders facility, at one point they they had this wagon, like a kid's wagon, full of candy. And you think of the amount of candy that is bought at this time of the year. CNN Business just put out on Twitter a whole article, and I never even thought about this. We, we, we just take it for granted. Like, all of a sudden, you go to the store, you go to Costco, you go anywhere, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Safeway, where, wherever, Lenardi, wherever you go to shop, all of a sudden, there's bags of candy everywhere. You never think about production of it Halloween is our number one season at Mars and it continues and it continues to become increasingly important Tim LaBelle president of sales for Mars Wrigley in the United States told CNN business yeah you never think about that but at some point they got to start ramping it up and you've got to get a bazillion things of candy out in the United States of America. You got to get it in every store. Think about every store. Think about where you live in Northern California right now and you're listening to me. Well, when you travel around, you got to realize everybody else has the same thing we have. Think of all the candy in every single grocery store in the United States of America. You have to supply that as a manufacturer. Mars, they got this big plant in Illinois. And said, how much? In 2016, Mars Wrigley poured $50 million into its Yorkville, Illinois candy factory to expand the facility. You just have to keep making candy. But, you know, you can't you can't make candy too early because then it won't be any good. I realize, I've realized that over the years. So what happens in the Townsend household is my kids, I'll go out, I'll walk as long as they want to go. I mean, they're, they are, my, my kids are soft. They're not like, they're not like, uh. They're not like my brother and I. My brother and I used to have pillowcases. I mean, we would be out, we'd be out as soon as it started to get dark till if late. I mean, we were, we would have, we would have so much candy it'd be a joke. My kids, they'll go, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're done, but they still get a decent amount. But then they will hide their bags, and they think like I can't find where they hide their bags, because you know, late night. 
Daddy might want a Twix. Daddy's favorite is a Reese's Peanut Buttercup. Buttercups. I love those. Those are my favorite. I might want to have a piece or two of candy. So I know where their stash is. But I'll tell you, after Halloween, you get into like January, February, the chocolate starts to turn a little bit, and it's not as good. So you can't make it too early. I want to hear from you at 510-897-1322. That's our text line. That's 510-897-1322. What is your favorite piece of candy on Halloween? What do you have? What do you have to have to make this, this is my Halloween? Everybody has a favorite candy. I like a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. That's my favorite. I'll exchange money with my kids for their for their butter cups. I yeah, my kids can't be bribed, there's no question. So at 510-897-1322, what is your favorite piece of candy? Cody, what do you have to have for Halloween? I'm a big Kit Kat guy. Well, very good. I would usually I come up with a off the board answer. That's usually what I do, but for Halloween candy is usually Kit Kats. I'm a big fan of the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name of them now, but uh, Smarties. I'm a big Smarties fan as well. But you don't have to, I can get those year round. Or on Halloween, I have to have a Kit Kat. Well, you can get Kit Kats year round. I know, but it's a little more sentimental to me on Halloween. I don't, yeah. don't ask well, why. Well, I mean, there's certain candy bars that you only see at Halloween time. I'll give you one. A Milky Way. I love a Milky Way, but Halloween time is the only time you really see Milky Ways. There's a lot of these little candy bars. When you, if you go into like Seven Eleven, or you go into A and PM, or you go in wherever, and uh, they don't they don't sell them. But when you're talking about Mars, and they put out these super huge bags, like I think my my wife got ours from Costco. It's very easy just to go in and go, God, just put a bunch of candy in the. Because we actually, you have to, my neighborhood is a big Halloween neighborhood. A lot of houses in my neighborhood decorate their homes. I, I live in Willow Glen down in San Jose. So it's kind of ha- Halloween and Christmas are a real big deal. Um, you know, we're one of, you know, my block, everybody puts a Christmas tree in the front yard. We, like everybody, we order these Christmas trees from one house, and then we all have a Christmas tree in front of our house. Um, so we have Christmas tree inside and then you have the small Christmas tree out in front, but yeah, tonight my house will be slammed, absolutely slammed. So you got it. You, you can't shut down early. That's another thing. You got to keep it rolling. If you're going to have people coming all night long, commander, you're bringing, uh, your lovely girlfriend. You guys are stopping by for a little Halloween. Yeah. We'll bring the dog too. I believe they have a costume picked up for them too. I'm already in full costume. So, Which, by the way, is not a good look. I, I don't, I don't get it. The mustache only, the headband with the hair, because my hair is getting longer. Tell now. everybody who you are. Uh, I'm Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback Gardner Minshew. I have the Jag shirt on. It doesn't fit properly, and even though I ordered the right size, it's one of those weird <laughs> fitting shirts. So I, that's why I have a jacket on, zipped up for right now. Yeah, but you, yeah, but uh, yeah, you, you got to take the jacket off. I will, and I have the and I have the jorts on that I macro made myself last weekend. He so, wears those. Yeah, he does. 
Like now in the NFL, he still wears those? Yeah, he still wears them. Where is he from? He went to Washington State. No, where is he from? Oh, I have to, I'd have to look. I just only want Your to- college doesn't mean anything. Where is he actually from that he still wears cut-off jeans? That is a look that died a long time ago. No one wears cut-off jeans anymore. Well, it says he's born in Mississippi. Let's see where he went to. Let's see, that, see that makes a little more sense. Let's see where he went to high school, though. And player. Um, Flowood, Mississippi. High school career. Yeah. He's from. He played high school football in Mississippi. All right. Then that makes sense. You retract I, your statement? No, 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 no. I said, I said if, if you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, you're not wearing cut-off jean shorts. He wore, he went back and threw out like a first pitch at a baseball game a couple weeks ago, I think, when the Jags had a bye. Or they're on a bye right now. So I don't, the picture was circulating on the internet. And he had like a Cougars jersey on, the headband, uh, jorts, and a pair of tennis shoes. And that like a lot of people inspire a lot of people to do the costume. I've been wanting to do it since he came in the NFL because he had the mustache last year with Mike Leach at, at uh, Wazoo. So... I mean, the guy's playing well. He has 13 touchdowns and only two interceptions right now as a rookie in the NFL. Well, I will tell you this. I love Halloween, and I hate when it's over, and i got to take everything down. But I will be very thankful when I don't have to look at this look again. I I want the beard back, and I want it back. It's growing. The beard hides the neck. Yeah, I know. That's what my dad always says. Yeah, the beard hides the neck. Yeah, you got it. Coming from a guy that my dad, who has – I haven't seen my dad's lips – I'll be 31 tomorrow. I haven't seen what my dad's lips look like my entire life. What, does he have a beard, too? He has a goatee that covers his upper and lower lip. I've never seen either of them. He never shaves. Uh, I had him do no-shave November once a couple years ago. His beard came in entirely gray. He shaved after, like, two days because he said he couldn't stand the sight of himself. Because <laughs> he dyes his, he's 58 years old. He still dyes his beard. I'm like, Dad, you're, you're 58 years old. I always said, when I go gray, I'm going gray. I'll just embrace it. All right. It's coming in. Twix, I see here. Snickers. What is the candy bar you have to have, or what can can be any kind of type of candy? 510-897-1322. That's 510-897-1322. Coming up next, we will tell you who is the favorite to win the World Series. Where are your Oakland A's? How do they see the A's? Do they shortchange them again? You're going to find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Uh, can I just say there's moments in life that you shouldn't put on Twitter? Our boss, the professor, Matt Pearl, who used to work around the Nationals, is from that area. So days between D.C. championships, the Capitals and the Nationals, 510. He goes on to say, area code of the city I moved to in order to allow the two championships. And then it's a picture of him watching the game and the most awkward jumping and grabbing of his shorts that I've ever seen. Saw that last night, and my first thought was, why would you post that? And two, I once want to quote it saying, that's my boss, everybody. Are we having him on today, our Washington Nationals correspondent? I When you when I texted you, you never say anything back, so I didn't know if you wanted me to reach out to him. But I, I can text him and see if he wants to do a few minutes. All right. Since he's the only Nats fan, I think we know. Say, like, if you're being filmed, like, did he know he was being filmed? 
Well, yeah, he says in there, don't mind my legs, right, in the tweet? No, it says, don't mind, don't pay no attention to my jumping. Yeah, see, so yeah, I think If you want to see how awkward this is, go on Twitter to at Matt Pearl. <laughs> Uh, I think here I'll read. I don't think it. I don't think he knew. I don't think he. Knew. <laughs> all right. First of all, gambling. Not that we're into that here. All right. Who is the favorite going into 2020? No, this is from Jeff Sherman of the Westgate Las Vegas Superbook. And by the way, the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey, will join us at 2:30. So Jeff, who uh, he's the VP of Risk Manager for the Las, uh, Westgate Las Vegas Westgate Superbook, has his 2020 World Series odds out. The Houston Astros are the favorites at five to one, followed by the LA Dodgers and New York Yankees at six to one. Now, for context, I'll give you who's last. That be the Marlins, Orioles, Tigers, Royals, who are all one thousand to one. Where do the Oakland A's lie? Yes, that's all I care about. Thirty to one to win the World Series. Thirty to one. Caesars has them at thirty to one. Also. Well, that's good because I really have better odds. The teams ranked above them: the Phillies, Mets, Cubs, Brewers, Rays, Twins, Cardinals, Indians, Nats, Red Sox, Braves. So every team besides the Red Sox and Phillies and Mets. And the Cubs were playoff teams last year. So you got four teams that were ahead of them that were not playoff teams. I would I would really love to sit down with I'm sure it's a group that comes up with this together. Now remember, when you're talking about sports books, they have to make numbers that you will bet on on both sides, right? Like when they put out a spread and they say, all right, X football team is favored by this. They want to put out a number that there's going to be people that bet on both sides. The worst thing for them is to bet a number that everybody's going to load up on one side. Because if everybody loads up on one side and that side hits, they get crushed. So everything they do is, eh, but putting the A's at 30 to 1 seems so low to me. But then again, that's why I would like to sit down with them and go, what do you know about the A's versus the Philadelphia Phillies? What do you know about the A's versus the New York Mets? You're looking at an A's team that's won 97 games two straight years. But they're going to put the Phillies and the Mets Phillies who just hired a manager. Uh, the Mets don't even have a manager. I mean, seriously, right? Is that me? The Mets are 20 to 1. They don't even you don't even know who's leading their franchise next year. The Cubs just hired a guy that's, according to him and Theo Epstein, will not be a puppet. Oh, you don't hire Rossi if, you th- if you're going to be a puppet. Where are the Angels? Oh, the Angels are 50 to 1 now that they got Joe Madden. I was like, where does Joe Madden fit into all this? There he is, 50 to 1. With the Padres. Okay, let me ask you a question. Uh, How many playoff games did Cleveland play this year? Um, That would be none. Okay, so you got Cleveland at 16 to 1, A's 30 to 1. And the A, it's, it's like, okay, maybe it's a secret. Once again, we get so wrapped up into our own teams. That you don't necessarily – and who said that to us? And he was so right. 
It was on the field. C.J. Nikowski, broadcaster, former left-hander, broadcaster for the Texas Rangers. We had him on in Texas, and then we had him on in Oakland. And he made a great point. He goes, you know, let's face it. You, me, we work for these teams. We work around these teams. And you're so wrapped up into your team that you don't know as much, especially about teams and other leagues. And what I mean by that is not that you don't know the players. You just don't know the dynamics, right? Go back to that list. So you don't know the dynamics of truly everything about their organization, let alone their coaching staff, their front offices. I can tell you, Brandon Taubman, I had no idea who that guy was. Like, seriously, I have more going on in my life than wondering who the assistant general manager is for the Houston Astros. I know who our guys are, but I'm not like I'm not like combing organizations to find out who the director of player personnel and who's ahead of the minor league system. Uh, I, 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 I like to think I have a little bit of a life. You know, it's bad enough I watch MLB Network that much. But I'm not co- – so when Taubman came out, and we now know who he is, uh, did you know this? This guy, the, the Astros assistant GM that got uh, canned, uh, er- Ernst and Young, where he worked, they're, like, distancing themselves. Like, he was, like, a hot shot out of there now with the Astros. Like, everybody is di- – like, this. it was career suicide. This guy was total career suicide. Nobody's going to hire this guy. And I tell you what, I'm going to be waiting. Major League Baseball, you're on the clock. World Series is over. Yeah, you got to let the Nats, you got to let the Nats have the parade. After the parade, though, I'm telling you right now, clock is ticking. You just can't tell me you forced out one guy with everything that happened. Without any other discipline, there's no way. But I don't think people think about at the A's at 30-1. to I don't think they think about all the pitching that's going to be out there for the A's. Dan Feinstein, the assistant general manager, stopped by A's Cast Live yesterday. We were talking about it. When you start looking at fires, you start looking at Mania, Montas, Puck, Lazardo. Bassett, that's six right there. That's like your your tier A. And then you got a whole nother tier of guys that are all going to be fighting if, knock on wood, all those guys I just mentioned stayed healthy. And with Bassett out of options, easily could be moved to the bullpen as a long guy. I mean, you're going to have... A ton of guys from Mingdon to Gossett. Well, actually, Mingdon, I think, is going to be out of options. Caprellian, Holmes, you're going to have all these dudes. They're going to be down at AAA. They're stacked in starting pitching next year. They're stacked. Short, third, first. They got their catcher of the future. Outfield could be really interesting. 
Loriano, Canna, Piscotti. I cannot bet on that. I don't know, where are we with that in Major League Baseball now? Since MGM Grand is the sponsor of the Japan Series and the playoffs, and they're talking about in-game betting in baseball. But 30-1, to if I were you, why not? What do you got to lose? Some more little A's news today. The A's have exercised their 2020 club option on right-hander Yesmero Petit. And then the club declined the 2020 option on left-hander Jake Diekman. Yesmero Petit pitched an American League leading 80 games, 5-3 with a 2.71 ERA. Is that any good? He had a career-best marks in games, an ERA, opponent's batting average, and on-base percentage. This is insane. He walked just 10 batters in 83 innings. That's it. Diekman came over. You know, he came from Kansas City where he was 0-6 with a 4.75 ERA, but he had a ton of strikeouts. He went 1-1 with a 4.43 ERA in 28 games for the A's. That's nothing uh, really much to speak about. The club option is for $5.5 million. I Can't we all pretty much say that if I'm going to get a guy, I mean, I don't want, put it this way, I don't want him to pitch in that many games next year, but for the year he had, to get a guy like that for $5.5 million, Guy pitched in 80 games, and he only got to pay $5.5 million? Folks, that's called a steal. Coming up next, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Game 7. What is it like to play in a Game 7? With the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey, next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. The face of the franchise, Ray Fossey, is going to join us coming up here. I just found a stat about the World Series. It, it, it is, it's pretty crazy. And I don't, I got to figure out if, if this is a, a, a bad trend. Or this is just an anomaly. We'll get to that coming up here at 245. Because I saw this one. Wow, is that that really happening? He's a two-time World Series champion. Two-time All-Star. Two-time Gold Glove winner. The face of the franchise. The great Ray Fossey joins us here on A's Cast Live. Foss, what would you think of Game 7? I loved it, Tony. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. You know, we had your uh, we had your teammate on Raleigh Fingers yesterday, and we were talking yeah. about how that World Series you guys only used five pitchers. I mean, that's it, right. I mean, Raleigh, Raleigh would you know talking with Raleigh just about you know being a reliever and, and being a guy who could come in and he could get X amount of innings. You know, it's always a treat catching up with these guys, your teammates, guys that you won World Series with. Tommy, it was a, it's a privilege, and, and I'll be honest with you, in watching last night's game, 
Uh, I had a chance to really think back to the 70s and being part of world championships, too, for me. I mean, as you, you continue to say, I mean, it was a pleasure to be on a team that not only won as he did in 72, but be acquired and win it in 73 and 74. I mean, it's something that we all play for. I mean, every player plays for that. And the one thing I saw last night, Tony, that really, really I thought was outstanding, and everybody in this country and world who loves baseball should have noticed one guy, Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer makes a ton of money. He won a world championship. To see the excitement, to see the tears, to see the way he reacted, the fact that he came back when he couldn't even get out of bed to pitch back in Washington and took the shot, you know, and came back. He could have said, hey, I'm done, can't do it, you know, I'm not going to pitch. But he wanted a world championship. And I think Kurt Suzuki said it best. And, again, congratulations to he and Sean Doolittle and uh, Chip Hale, the bench coach. And how about Fernando Rodney? You know, was let go by the A's. He needs on that world championship team. But I think Suzuki said it best. We knew he was going to come back. It was just a thing that we felt no matter Max Scherzer is going to take the ball. It's unfortunate Suzuki could not catch him. But I think that just epitomized everything about baseball is the fact that the, the amount of money that the Washington Nationals pay for those pitchers, and it became a pitcher's game in Strasburg winning the MVP and what Scherzer did and Annabelle Sanchez and, and Corbin coming out of the bullpen, pitching so well after signing a huge contract after last year. But they did it the right way, and, and they continue to play. And we, I'm sure they're thankful that the wild cards are in existence right now in baseball because if you think about where the Nationals were, what, 19 and 31, and all of a sudden they get to postseason, and I've always said it, Tony, if you get hot, if you have good pitching and you play solid defense, you're going to win a world championship, and the Nationals did that last night with Game 7. Yeah, I, I like how both these clubs were veteran-type clubs. I like how both of them were built on starting pitching. And and, yeah. and, and, and and what we're starting to see a trend, Foss, is, is not only is it your starter, but it's bringing starters out of the bullpen. Instead of just going all yeah. these different bullpen guys, these, these we've seen it now for a while in these World Series where you're, you're, you're the guy's truly with the best stuff, and, and these guys can get through like Corbin came in and, and gave you yeah. innings. It's a big key now with these days off. You can have certain starters come in relief after your starting pitchers. And even with Garrett Cole in the bullpen for the Astros last night, he did not come in the game, which I'm sure A.J. Hinch had to answer questions about that. But, you know, he brought Harris in, and as it turned out, he faced the wrong hitter in Howard Kendrick because Kendrick is that type of a hitter. I'm not surprised. I may be surprised that the ball stayed fair and hit the foul pole, but Howie Kendrick very rarely, if ever, pulls the ball unless it's a hanging breaking ball that he's out in front of. So he goes middle of the field to right field, as he did with the Grand Slam in Los Angeles, the right center. He got a big hit up the middle in, I think, the uh, league championship. And, of course, he did it again in the World Series last night, hitting the foul pole in right field. But, you know, you, you look at what Corbin did, and you look at how the Astros played the game with the, uh, the Nationals doing what they did. If it were me, Tommy, the, the one thing you talk about pitchers, the starters coming out of the bullpen, how about Zach Greinke? He makes a bad pitch to Rendon. He walks a batter. He's out of the game. He was, he, I mean, how could you look at that situation and say he's done and you're going to go to the bullpen? I, I think sometimes managers overreact to the point of pulling a starter who was having success to go to the bullpen, not knowing, and in the case of Harris, they admitted he was on fumes. Well, not, why not bring in Osuna to try to get the big out and, and retain the lead? So little things happen, but what A.J. Hinch did in 2017 
Gordon Lakey, longtime scout for the Phillies who retired, said what A.J. did in 17, he, he made adjustments and he brought the starters out of the bullpen because Giles, his closer, was not doing the job. Some things tried to do, uh, they tried to do it again in this World Series and unfortunately didn't work. But how rare is it? Have you ever, well, it's never been done before. Not one team home field advantage worked out. Isn't that amazing? That all seven games were won by the visiting team. It's incredible Yeah, to think about the World Series. Yeah, let's get to that in a moment. I want to go back to your point about Granky coming out early. Yeah. I want to applaud Dave Martinez for sticking yeah. with Scherzer. So Scherzer's working Absolutely. out of trouble. You know, normally, oh, my God, there's guys on. Get the bullpen up. Martinez sat there yeah. and went, that's my guy. I'm riding my yeah. guy. Whether we win or lose, he's my guy. And it was a smart move. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And, and watching that game and how many times you could see the bulldog mentality in Matt Scherzer. I saw it in Detroit, and, you know, I think John Smoltz said it last night or somebody said it, that everybody couldn't believe he turned out $160 million with the Detroit Tigers. And I remember that happening. He signed with the, uh, the Nationals for the 210. But he's deserved every penny because if you win three Cy Young Awards, now he has a world championship. And just to see his reaction, the fact that when you get, you get runners on base with Max Scherzer, I think of Felix Hernandez, uh, Felix, uh, Hernandez whenever he got in trouble, King Felix was at his best because that's when the maximum came out. We saw the Max Scherzer last night, and I agree with you. What Dave Martinez did, just sat there and said, he's my guy. I'm going to let him get out of the jam. He brings Corbin in, one of his starters, gives him three solid innings, and then he brings in Hudson. And how appropriate was that, County, that here's Hudson – who had the birth of his child, he leaves, and everybody's up in arms. How could you do that? And he closes out the world championship for the, for the Nationals in a perfect ninth inning. It's great. I mean, it was just a, a – and I, I think from the standpoint of watching the Nationals and the underdogs, do you see those numbers with Rendon in uh, elimination games, how well he performed? It's just unbelievable. And, and so you got Garrett Cole, who's a free agent pitcher. You have – Rendon, who's a free agent position player, these guys are going to take him to the bank. But I like the enthusiasm of the Nationals. I liked it after the home run was hit by Rendon. Do you see the, the reaction of the dugout? They're still down in seventh game of the World Series, and they're dancing and doing that riding the bus. I mean, it was fun to watch, you know. And then all of a sudden they take the lead and they win the game. So, I mean, it was, it was a great series. Uh, both teams, if they had won, if the Astros had won, you've been saying the same thing about them. But – I couldn't be happy for the Nationals, especially since some of the guys that uh, we had with the A's with this ball club. What was your dance when you hit that home run off the Dodgers in the World <laughs> Series? Hey, listen, when we hit home runs in my era, and I know people don't like to think back, but you ran the base, you put your head down, and that was it, man. You could give, give a little handshake, get back to the dugout, because that happened in 74 against Don Sutton. I've said it before, in 87, when I was broadcasting, we had an old-timers game in Oakland, and Don Sutton was pitching for the Athletics. He goes into the visiting dugout in the A's uniform. I came up to hit. He came, comes out to pitch, and he throws one over my head. I go, what was that? He says, that's for the home run you hit in 1974. I said, get over it. 13 years later. What are you talking about? But, uh, no, we, we did not do things that they're doing now. And, granted, they want to play the game to have fun. But I will say, Tony, what Bregman did in carrying the bat to first base after hitting a home run which put the Astros up, that to me went a little bit too far. And with Soto, he had his to put them up. I think that was more of a mockery of what Bregman did. And Bregman's been around too long. I mean, 
not that long, but he's been around long enough to know that you don't do that because you do not want to incite the other team because, you know, everybody knows what you just did. And, and all it takes is that if, if that's going to do something to win it in the ninth inning, it's a walk-off, it's one thing, but that's early in the game. There's a lot of baseball remaining. And as it turned out, he had to apologize or did apologize after the game, as did Garrett Cole after he put that uh, infamous hat on last night uh, that uh, talking about his agent, but that's another story. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that too. But I, 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 the disparity for the road team versus the home team. So in DC, the Astros outscored the nationals 19 to three in Houston, in, in Houston, the nationals outscored the Astros 30 to 11. How do we make sense of that? I don't, and especially, Tony, since the Astros had that 60-21 and 21 record at home, which leads you to believe what was going on in the regular season that maybe did not occur in postseason. I, I'm not going to speculate or, or insinuate that something did happen, but the one thing I did notice that with the National Scherzer last night, and I saw various pitchers with nobody on second base, there were multiple signs being used by the catcher because there were you, when you see a pitcher take longer, to get a sign that he's happy with, that means the catcher is going through multiple signs. He's not giving one fastball, two curves, three a slide, or four change, or wiggle a change, or, or split if he throws one. So that to me showed that all of a sudden the pitcher-catcher relationship with nobody on base turned out to be like there's a runner at second base. And, and we all know that a runner at second base, if you don't change your signs, he can relay what the pitch is or location to the hitter. The hitter becomes a much better hitter. So I don't know what happened, but when you have your 41 games over 500 at home and then you get to postseason and you cannot win one game in a four-game World Series, so much for home field advantage because you look at what's happened the last five or six years. The teams that have gone into the home field advantage team and have won to eliminate or at least win the World Championship says a lot about that whole scenario. I'm flabbergasted because for the Nationals to score – one run in each of the three games in Washington and come back to Houston and, and win the way they did in game six and seven in Townie. It reminded me of 1973, my World Series, first time. We left New York after losing to the Mets. We came back to Oakland down three games to two, and I'll never forget getting off the airplane. Everybody said, oh, what's going to happen? I said, we'll win. We're going to win the World Series because we knew that the fans in Oakland were going to cheer us. We knew we had the pitchers. We had the position players. We had the offense to score just enough runs for those pitchers, and we have Mr. October and Reggie Jackson, who came through as did Tampa, and we won the World Series by win, beating the Mets the two games in game six and seven. So those similarities, but I'm surprised that the Astros were not able to win at least one of those two games. But, it, again, it says a lot about the Nationals and how successful they had throughout their season, especially after being 19-31. and 31. And Dave Martinez, just like the ace skipper Bob Melvin, runs the ball club, and that's why the Nationals are successful, and that's why the A's are going to be successful and continue to be under Bob Melvin. And I just think about where we are in modern-day sports and how well road teams do. You know, in in this best-of-seven, you know, this last game, home teams are under 500, and you see teams in hockey struggle at home. You see teams in basketball – what happened to home field? We used to like, oh, you got to get home field advantage. What happened? That's to- right. Why is the modern-day athlete on the road not as affected like they were years ago? The one thing that I saw in the, the wild card game, and I'll be honest with you, I was, I was happy because I wanted to see the crowd 
at the Coliseum, which we saw in excess, uh, excess of 50,000 people for that wild card game. But if you think about it, if you're a road team, you get to hit first. And if you can score a run, you can shut the fans down quickly. And I think in the A's case, whenever they gave up the home run, the first batter that Manai gave up the home run, the A's had a chance to really blow it up at the bottom of the first. Morton got out of the jam, game over, I think, at that point. So I think to the point of playing on the road, if you can score early, if you can score in that first inning before the home team even gets the hit, you're sending, sending a message to that team and the fans that we're here to play. And I think it relaxes players and teams when they are playing on the road. And, you know, the one, the, the one thing about last night and, and hearing the crowd in Houston, the one thing that you do as players, you never hear what is going on. And you could see on the faces of those players with the crowd screaming and yelling, it's like they had earmuffs on. It's like they had something in their ears they could not hear what was happening in the stands. And I think that's what sets the players aside. Because home field advantage, while it's great, the fans are there, but it's almost like blinders and tunnel vision and, and earplugs if you're a player. And I remember that as a player in 73 when we went game seven to, to the Mets. The fans were there and cheering. I didn't hear them. It was like I was playing in spring training with nobody in the stands. It, it was an amazing feeling. So that is the feeling the players have because it's business. You, you think about, yes, the fans are here to support us. Let's hear the reaction fans after we win. That's what we did in 73. That's what the Nationals did with their core of fans that came to Houston last night to celebrate with them. You know, I think about the odds have come out, and the odds, the the favorite <laughs> next year is the Houston Astros, and you got to go all the way down to 30-1 to 1 for the A's. And I have no problem with the A's being underdogs again, but 30-1 to 1 just makes me think that, they don't really got a feel for the type of pitching the A's are going to have this year matching their offense. Yeah. You know, I agree 100%. And I, and I will say these predictions are based on maybe something that happened this year. And the experts, I was just looking at uh, someone predicted exactly the way the whole postseason turned out uh, with, with both teams in the American National League winning all the way down to the Astros and the Nationals, Nationals winning World Series. But look at the Nationals as tremendous underdogs going to the World Series. And, and all of a sudden, the Astros are the, uh, the Nationals win. Tony, I don't believe in the odds makers. I don't believe in a lot of things when it comes to that because I believe that what the players can do, and I think once those so-called odds makers start looking at the pitchers that the A's have and the fact that they just picked up the option for Jasmero Petit is outstanding. Talk about a workhorse. So the A's will retain him for his option year. But I think from the young starting pitchers, and you combine the offense, like you said, and the defense behind them, the A's could possibly have three gold glove winners on the infield. Rawlings may be giving them out to, to three with Chapman, Simeon, and Olsen. And how about Robbie Grossman in there as well? So the defense is there, the pitching is going to be there, and the offense is going to continue to get better and better. And I agree with you, 30-1, to 1, I'll take those odds going as underdogs because I think it's going to be a much better season for the athletics than a lot of those prognosticators think especially the odds makers in, in Vegas, whomever, are making those predictions. Foss, you are the best. What does what, what Ray Fossey do in the offseason? Well, I'm getting ready to go to our daughter's house for Halloween. And, nice. Uh, I'm down in Arizona. And uh, so we had uh, this morning, we had All Saints Day at Madeline's uh, school. And so she was married. 
and then went to Abigail's school and a little parade for the uh, she'll be two in, in December and then Halloween tonight and it's 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 a tremendous time of the year to be with the kids the grandkids and just enjoy life and the main thing Tally I've got two I got two suitcases I'm looking at right now full of information ready to go through and get ready for 2020 because I know it's going to be a great year and what you do on AceCast and what you do for the athletics is tremendous. I can't wait to get started again. And I'll be honest with you, the off season is great, but I can't wait for spring training to start again in 2020. Well, I've been saying this to a lot of people. This is going to be a quick off season with the expectations yeah. that we have for this ball club. And Foss, I do not want to hear about wild card games. I do not want to no, hear about no. the division. The goal has to be the World Series because you not you, you can't accomplish a goal unless you believe you can do it. Absolutely, and Yasmero Petit said it immediately after the unfortunate loss to the Rays in the wild card game. He said, "Enough, enough." But he's been there twice in New York and now in Oakland. He said, "Enough of that." He said. Let's get the division, have a chance with the five games. But, but I, I think the great thing about it, and, and, and the one negative about the Western division that I see is the Los Angeles Angels because of Joe Madden. Because the one thing that he was hired, and he said we're going to incorporate the analytics and old-school baseball. We're going to hit and run. We're going to bunt. And there is how you win ball games. And I think Bob Melvin, I think we're going to see kind of a baseball turnaround a little bit to where you get back to that. How about Torino's last night trying to bunt? How many times do you think he bunted during the season and he popped the ball up and first and second, nobody out? See, if you don't work on those things during the season and then you get into crunch time when you know pitching is great, you better be able to do what you're asked to do. In this case, lay down a perfect bunt. Pitchers work on it. I think position players have to work on it as well because I think that everybody one through nine should be able to bunt because you never know when that situation comes up. So instead of hitting or trying to bunt and popping it up or hitting a ground ball as a double play, and taking a first and second, nobody out, turning it to a runner at third and two out. You know, to me, you can win ball games by being able to be successful in the little things of the game of baseball. Everybody learning to bunt, huh? Good luck on that one, Foss. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but did you see? Hey, listen, but the haze on that workout on the Tuesday in Oakland, it's the Coliseum. They had their workout. At the end of the workout, they were all practicing bunting. I'm going, what is this? Because you don't see it that much. But, but you think about Seriously, Tony, you get the postseason, you're facing, we've talked about it, the best pitchers, the best teams. So the little things help you win. Granted, the home run, two home runs last night helped the, the, uh, the Nationals win. But how about with a couple of hits and a walk and a base hit up the middle? There's two runs. So little things are going to help you. You're not always going to hit home runs. I don't care what they say about baseballs and all those things. Bottom line, you're facing the best of the best. So you get the postseason, and especially the World Series. So if you do the little things, it helps you win. And I agree with you. Not everybody's going to bunt, but it's something that that perfect example last night when Torino's tried and couldn't accomplish it. That said a lot because I don't know his statistics and how many times he did attempt it, but last night was not a very good attempt. All right, Ray, we'll be calling you in probably uh, a week or two, so keep that phone on. I'm always ready for you, my friend, because you're the best. So hey. you keep it going too. And have a great time with your grandkids. <laughs> Definitely will, Tommy. And you have a great time with those twins. You're going trick or treating? Oh, you bet. <laughs> I'll send. I'll send. I'll, I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you a picture of my Riddler outfit. Uh, oh, I can't wait to see it. That's great. You have a fun time, my friend. You're a good man. You too. Take care, Foss. All right, Tony. Okay, Tony.
Isn't he the best? He's the best. That's Ray Fossey. What do you think Fossey dresses up as for Halloween? Ray Fossey. Do you think he goes as fake Ray Fossey on Twitter? Hey, we've been trying to figure out who fake Ray Fossey is for a long, long time. I've, I officially made it on Twitter with him. I tweeted out the picture last week of Foss from uh, the wildcard game where he's in the suit, and he took it and used it as one of his pictures on there. Did he really? Yeah, so I was like, all right, I've officially made it. Fake, fake, fake Fossey has taken, has taken one of my pictures and used them to put on his Twitter page. Oh, nice, nice, nice. The great Ray Fossey. We have some gyms coming up for you. We're going to have Gonzo coming up. Luis Gonzalez. Right? That's coming up here at 3 o'clock. Mike Petriello from MLB.com will be here. We're hoping to have Dave uh, Jagler, the, the radio, one of the radio voices of the Nationals. They're currently flying, and he said that if they land on time, he plans on coming on. But just confirmed a few minutes ago, um, the only Nats fan we know, the boss, the professor, the star of the video that Tony has tweeted out, Matt Pearl, is going to join the show later on as well. We're on 345. Well, I'm happy for him. And, you know, because a, 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 a lot of people that worked around that franchise, and you got to think we're, we're – so we talk about our boss. And, you know, in that area for so many years, you were forced, if you're a baseball fan – to be an Orioles fan. You know, they didn't have they didn't have the Nats. And then they moved Montreal to Washington DC and you know, you're going to take your lumps. And then they got good and they could just never win a big game. They could never win a big game and that's kind of where the A's have been. You know, you think about 2012, you think about 2013, you think about 2014, you think about 18, you think about 19. But what it tells you is at some point you'll break through. And hopefully that's going to be next year. You have to learn from mistakes. You know, there have been so many teams, they had to fail. Some teams don't do this. They just they just win. But some some group core of players, they have to fail before they succeed. And that's what, I, that's what I, I'm going on. And I'm, I'm telling you this, too. I'm going to spring training, and I don't want to talk about just getting there. Your goal has to be to win it all. You can't just say win the division. Because if you win the division, then you've accomplished your goal. What next? It's a mental thing. I get it. But I learned this from a four-time Super Bowl champion, Bill Romanowski. And Romo would say, when you played for Bill Walsh in the 49ers, it wasn't about winning the West. It wasn't about getting to the title game. It wasn't about ma- everything was about winning the Super Bowl. You, you view the Super Bowl and everything falls in line. So I don't want to hear happy to make the playoffs. Just get in. The mindset has to be train the mind, winning the World Series, putting that ring on your finger, and the rest will play out. That's the goal. Talk about a guy who won a World Series. Coming up next, 
Luis Gonzalez was part of one of the great Game 7s, one of the great World Series. 2001, his D-backs with Bob Melvin as one of the coaches would take take down the great New York Yankees who were trying to win the World Series for the fourth straight year. Gonzo will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. You want to talk about one of the premier outfielders of his time? This guy was as good as anybody. A five-time All-Star, a World Series champion, and a guy that... Doing the Bob Melvin show each week here on A's Cast Live. Luis Gonzalez, I don't know if you know this, but you from time to time get brought up on the Bob Melvin show. Well, I tell you, he was one of my favorite uh, managers and coaches uh, during my time here with the Diamondbacks. So he uh, he always seems to find to bring out the best in every player, and you've seen that in in recent years of him managing over with the Oakland A's, how he continues to go out there and uh, produce and get you know, good players out there on the field. You know you played in a good World Series. When people years later still reference it, you know, because we've been talking about Garrett Cole's going to be coming out of the bullpen, which didn't happen. And and we always think about Randy Johnson, what he did against the New York Yankees in Game 6 and Game 7. I mean, when you think back, that World Series was so amazing. Does this still give you goosebumps? Because people are still talking about it. It does. I mean, it was a great World Series. Uh, You know, the only clunker game was Game 6, where we actually uh, blew them out uh, to to force it to Game 7. But other than that, every game was, you know, the the three games in uh, in New York City, Games 3, 4, and 5, which were the walk-offs and, you know, the big home runs there late by the uh, Yankees and things like that. But, I mean, you had a lot of big-name players in it, the pitching staffs with – with Pettit and Clemens and Musina on one side, and then you had Schilling and Johnson on the other side. So, And then you had veteran guys on both ball clubs uh, as position players. So it just uh, – and, and 9-11 after the year 2001. So it just, it, it just uh, magnified everything going into that World Series. Yeah, two veteran ball clubs just like we saw in this World Series. And, and it just goes to show that if you have – you know, we're so into bullpens now in baseball, but the reality is when you want to close things out, like we saw what Corbin did, we saw yesterday Madison Bumgarner, of course, and I think back for the Yankees. Imagine if you're a Yankee in 01 and you get Randy Johnson, shoves it down your throat in game six, and then here he comes coming out of the bullpen again in game seven. You got to be like, come on, this isn't fair. Yeah, and, and you know, Players realize that you don't you don't know how many times you're going to get an opportunity to get into that situation to play in a World Series. There's been many great players that have played for you know long amounts of time in their career and never even get an opportunity to get to the postseason. So um, when you have that opportunity, you try to make the most of it. And I think 
Um, you know, every every pitcher goes into the manager's office that day and says they're available. I, I know for uh, for certain that Randy Johnson was that guy that went in to tell Bob Brenly and 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 Bob Melvin that uh, hey, I'm available for Game Seven if it gets down to it. And sure enough, we ended up using him in that game. Well, and you think about how you can ride starting pitching once again. Forty-two percent of all innings this year were pitched by the bullpen. That's an all-time high. But yet. Why were these two teams in the World Series? They were in the World Series because their major strength was their starting pitching. That was exactly what you guys had in 2001. Yeah, and, and I, the trend has gone so opposite now with bullpen guys. I'm, you know, I have a son that plays in the minor leagues, and I and I still work for the Diamondbacks, so I go out and see a lot of our minor league games and. Um, you don't see a lot of starters going deep in the games. They're usually like 60, 70 pitches, and they're looking over their shoulder if they get in trouble for the bullpens coming in. I think we've protected these guys so much that uh, they just don't even care about going deeper in the games. Uh, You go back into the day, and you try to take a ball away from uh, Dave Stewart or uh, Oral Hershiser or Randy Johnson or one of those guys, they're going to fight you on that mound to try to get the ball away from them because it was their game, and they wanted to, they wanted to finish what they started, and you don't, you don't see that too often anymore. It's funny you say that because yesterday we had the Hall of Famer on Raleigh Fingers, and he talked about how starters back in the day would get extra bonuses for complete games, and he said literally – Catfish Hunter would fight you on the mound not to come out of a game because if he came out of the game, you were taking money out of his pocket. Yeah, and, and it, it doesn't surprise me to hear that because when I first came up, uh, it was still that old-school mentality. And as a young player, I would see the starter out there uh, you know, arguing with the manager or one of the pitching coaches about he's not coming out of this game, it's his game. It was too close a game. He didn't want to turn it over to the bullpen. Not that he didn't trust him, but it was – you know, you were playing with his money as far as, uh, you know, if he was his free agent year contract-wise, and he wanted to have everything on his side and his court that he could go out there and control himself. He didn't want to give it to somebody else. And I think about this World Series, and I don't know if you have an answer. I don't know if anybody has an answer, but this is the first time in the history of best of seven, just not in baseball, hockey, NBA, we have never seen in a best of seven, and this was the 115th World Series. Now, obviously, they didn't they didn't play seven back in the day, but uh, I think about it. Every the road team won every single game. What do you make of that? Yeah, that was crazy. I think uh, you know. I actually think the Minute Maid Ballpark played better for the Washington Nationals. The way their team was uh, formulated, that it just kind of that dimension of ballpark and everything they had some left-handed hitters that can go the other way you see Soto hit a ball out to to left field there uh earlier in the series that if they're playing at their home park that that might have been an out and you know just just the way their team was was built up with their strong starting pitching and stuff it just worked out so well for them and uh you know unfortunately for Houston uh they couldn't get they couldn't uh, win any games at home to to try to close it out now, for you guys, you love being at home in the postseason. Yeah, it was uh, totally opposite in our series against the Yankees in 2001. We won the first two at home, then we went to New York. They won the next three, and then we ended up taking the last two at home. So, yeah, it was one of those where home field advantage really worked out for us in this series that we just had this year with the Nationals and the Astros. Uh, it proved to be opposite. 
So you still work for the Arizona Diamondbacks. We'll get into that. We know your son's with the San Francisco Giants organization. Just how cool is it to see your son following the same dream, the same dream you had as a, as a young guy? It's exciting. I mean, he signed out of high school. He's a, he's a big kid, about 6'4", 220. Um, and now he's starting to move around a little bit. He started out at third base. He's playing some first and some outfield a little. So um, I think you're, you're finding a lot more young players as they're coming up. They're being a little more versatile to play different positions, uh, especially if you're on the left side of the infield. I keep telling them you've got to learn how to play second, short, because of the shifts and different things that are going on. You know, these position players, they're all over the field now when uh, different hitters come up. So, But it's a lot of fun. It's still nerve-wracking for me because I'm kind of like going through uh, my second uh, life of of watching. Uh, you feel like you're still part of it, you know, watching your kid play out there, and you still get nervous for him and things like that. But uh, he's a good kid, and he works hard. I got to tell you, that's very good advice because what we are seeing in baseball and even if they expand the rosters to 26, it's going to be another bullpen arm. And, you know, that's one thing that Bob Melvin has is he has a couple guys, not a lot of them, but he's got a couple guys that are very versatile. So you don't have a big bench when you have that big of a bullpen. So you need players that can play all around the diamond. You need them to be able to play infield. You need them to be able to play outfield. It's amazing that the versatility you need if you're going to be successful in the game today on your bench. Yeah, and you're finding a lot more of those bench guys. Um, you know, they're younger and younger, but not only that, but if if they can play multiple positions, they end up playing just as much as they do as the everyday guy does because of the simple fact that they can uh, give a different player a breather out there on the field. If, uh, you know, if a guy like Bob Melvin sees one of his guys struggling a little bit, he can give him a day off and run a guy out there that he doesn't have any hesitation because he knows that he can handle that position fine without – uh, you know, you know, being being uh, a minus for his for his team out there on the field. You know, let's talk about your time with the Diamondbacks because I got to think. I mean, your career numbers. If every if anybody forgot, lifetime two eighty three, two thousand five hundred ninety one hits. You drove in one thousand four hundred thirty nine and hit three hundred fifty four bombs. I hope that when you walk in, whether it's spring training or you're working, these guys remember what kind of player you were. <laughs> well, this this day and age, this generation is a little bit different. So I just kind of, uh, yeah, I kind of keep to myself a little bit. I don't kind of indulge in, uh, you know, getting into guys' businesses and stuff like that. But if they ask for, you know, uh, advice or, or, you know, some type of help. I try to get them as much as I can out there and just try to look for different things that's going on. But, um, you know, the game's changed. I'm hoping that it revolves back to the way it used to be where guys are more in tune into putting the ball in play and making things happen. There's way too many strikeouts. Um, the, the all or nothing has really taken over the game where guys are swinging for the fences. And everybody talks about launch angle and different things like that. I don't you know, maybe we were doing it when we were playing, but we never really called it launch angle. There was just guys that just tried to get a little lift in their swing, a little elevation to try to get the ball up in the air. But, I mean, now you're seeing guys, you know, in high school and stuff like that with a straight uppercut swing. And it's I still find that hard to catch up to a high fastball when guys are throwing in the mid to upper 90s like just about everybody's doing now to try to, to get under a, a, a pitch to try to elevate it up in the air when they're throwing up in the strike zone. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you, and, and hopefully, you know, they always say professional sports, it's a copycat league. I mean, let's face it, the Houston Astros, their pitchers struck out the most the most batters, and their hit, hitters struck out the fewest times. I mean, there's a reason why the Astros are so good, is they put the ball in play, they make hard contact, and they don't strike out. Yeah, and you saw it in postseason this year. There wasn't uh, very few games where with manufactured runs of, like, bunting and getting a guy over, and, you know, there was a lot of home runs being hit. That's how a lot of teams scored their runs. Uh, you know, you get quick runs when you do that, but at the same time, you put a lot of pressure on the defense when you're able to, you know, get one or two guys on and, you know, try to shoot the ball the other way or hit and run and things like that. You don't see that too often anymore. Hey, we really appreciate the time after Game 7 of the World Series. Of course, we had a lot of respect for you and your career and what you did in Major League Baseball. Continued success with what you're doing. I know you got businesses down there in Arizona, and then obviously with your son in San Francisco for the Giants. And then uh, we'll tell Bob Melvin you said hello. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, right there. That guy, that guy could play. That guy could really – and he was a really good defensive outfielder too. And I know Bob Melvin loves him. Absolutely. You know, there is a really strong bond, and I'm sure all teams have this that win the World Series, but just because I know Bob, uh, that bond – and also Matt Williams. That bond of that 2001 World Series team is, is really, really tight. That is a tight-knit group. No question about it. We continue to break down Game 7. That's why we're on today here on A's Cast Live. Mike Petriello, who does an unbelievable job for MLB.com and the MLB Network, will be breaking it down with us right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Now back to the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he is a columnist for MLB.com, and he's also a major contributor to the MLB Network. Mike Petriello joins us here, and Mike, thank you for coming on after Game 7 of the World Series to break this World Series down. Yeah, it was a pretty fun game. I mean, the first time we've ever seen the road team win all seven games, and I don't think we will ever see that again for as long as we live, so... There's that, but uh, it's a pretty well-deserved win for a, a city that has not had a World Series in many, many years. Yeah, that is really historic when you think about it because it's never happened in the NHL. It's never happened in the NBA when you talk best of seven series, and now it's finally happened in the 115th World Series. So when you say probably in our lifetime we'll never see that again, I, I bet that's a pretty good bet. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it because it's, it's just so weird. There's nothing that you can ascribe any meaning to it. Like, there's no reason it happened. It's just one of those things that happened. The other thing I didn't like about it was that you never really had any games where the, the home crowd was really super into it because they kept losing all the time. But I don't think the Nationals care about that so much right now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy when you look at the disparity of the home offenses which is just pretty – I mean, you look at the four games in Houston, how well the Nationals performed offensively, and then you go over to the Nats' home park and you look how well the Astros did offensively. I, it just It's so weird no one can explain it, why your offense is better on not in your home park than, than on the road. Yeah, I wish I had a good answer for you other than it's just one of those weird things that happens. Like if you were to look at the 162 games – 
that each of these teams played, you could probably find a three or four game stretch where they did exactly the same stuff happened to this team during the World Series. I, mean, I know the Nationals were kind of seen as somewhat of an underdog, uh, but I don't really see it that way. I mean, this has been a really good team for a really long time. The first when they were terrible, that was kind of the outlier. You know, Trey Turner was hurt, and you know, a lot of different guys in the bullpen. Uh, ever since they bottomed out, they were one of the best teams in baseball. The best team that won this. And I think about this veteran team that is the Washington Nationals, and you can say the same thing about the Houston Astros. But there's just guy Zimmerman. He, you know, he's he's Mr. National. Uh, you think about Max Scherzer when he signed that deal and came over. You think about Steven Strasburg and all the hype being the number one pick coming out of San Diego State. There's just so many good stories. You know, we got a bunch of our former A's on there. When you talk about Sean Doolittle, Kurt Suzuki, Chip Hale. So I just a lot of good stories and so happy for a lot of these guys who have been in this game for a long time and they're finally getting a World Series ring. Yeah, there's there's no way to like quantify this or rank this or anything, but it does seem like this particular group of players are particularly likable. You know, like all the reasons you mentioned and so being so young, and obviously uh, guys like Sean Doolittle who do so much good in the, in the community. Um, there was, you know, some unfortunate off the stuff that maybe colored people's opinions towards the Astros. Uh, in this World Series, and I think a lot of people were happy to see the, the Nationals win. Uh, and it's fun. Like, they're a really fun team to root for. Obviously, the city hasn't won anything in so long. Uh, it's a good story. It's it's a good story for a market that's only okay because it just hasn't been around that long. I'm really hoping that this will kind of uh, do some more interest in the team, you see. Anthony Rendon has made himself a lot of money, but knowing what he means to this franchise, I hope he gets that money and he stays in Washington, D.C. I know there's a couple of tough calls, but uh, d- don't you think it'd be fitting for him to stay in D.C., especially after w- what just happened with the Nationals winning? Well, I agree with that totally. The only problem with that is that uh, you could say exactly the same thing about Steven Strasburg, too, who's got an opt-out in his contract, uh, four years and $100 million, which I think he could top the way he just pitched. I don't really see the Nationals retaining both, but I also can't imagine that they would let both of them go. So my, my best guess is that uh, the Nationals and Strasburg work something out where in exchange for not using the opt-out, they'll tack on another beer or two or three under this contract. We've seen guys like Sabathia and Kershaw do that before. My guess is that Rendon uh, does move on. I don't know where right now, but he's also seems like the kind of guy who's not necessarily interested in playing in those 45. So maybe he's the kind of player who finally takes one of those short years, high-value contracts, like four years for $40 million, uh, per um, that would be really interesting. That would kind of open up the market to a couple of different teams. Uh, but it's, it's really going to be interesting to see where they go. I think Cole, obviously, for Houston is going to be moving on. I think Rendon's moving on. And I think Strasburg probably stays. Yeah, that's interesting. Listening to him talk last night uh, where he says D.C. is now home. And people that I know that know Strasburg, is, he's really not the kind of guy that's going to now at this point in his career look to get the biggest contract. He wants to be happy, and he'll make a lot of money there in D.C. And you mentioned about the shorter contract with a higher average. We know the Dodgers are trying to do that with Bryce Harper. Mike, I've talked about that with the A's. You know, the A's, you don't want to give these long contracts. Well, if you don't, why don't you just overpay for a couple years, and then you have that guy when you want him in his prime, and then you don't have to keep paying him when you don't want to pay him anymore. Why do you think we don't see more contracts like that in the game? Well, I think a lot of guys do want the long-term security. You know, and the, the more years you get, the more the overall value of the contract is. And it's 
kind of see the, the rising tide lifts all boats and helping out the other guys uh, in free agency. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think you could say, well, listen, I'm pushing the limits of what you can make in a year, and then that kind of increases effort following guys. We just we haven't seen the right player do it. And I think part of it is if you reach free agency, like 28, 29, uh, you want to sign that deal that does take you into your mid-30s. Nobody wants to go back out onto the market at like 34 because we, we've seen how poorly that ends for a lot of guys. Now, if Rendon just truly isn't interested in playing that long, then this is you know speculative. I don't know this for sure. It just kind of sounds like what it sounds like. He could possibly be the guy to do it, and I think that would be really interesting. But I can't imagine it's the A's because they've got a pretty good third baseman of their own. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we're, we're fine at the corner. There's no question about that. I was just – it's something that I actually – the old president of the A's – uh, back in 2012 in Japan, we had this conversation, you know, when the A's were, you know, we didn't know at that time the A's were going to go on that great run and win the division on the last day against the Rangers. It was at the start of the year, and I was like floating that idea since you don't want to give 10 years or eight years. Why not? And they're like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. You know, one thing I think we will take away from this World Series is, once again, if you get the right wild card team in there, they are so tough to beat because they've been playing playoff baseball for who knows how long. I mean, they've been playing for their playoff lives really since May, but you think about what they did in September. Then they get into the postseason. They were a tough out. They win all these winner-take-all games. And then I think I think we'll all take away – tell me what you think about this. All the big-name pitchers they went up against, they either beat or survived them. Well, I think as far as the wild card thing goes, you know, a little bit of yes and a little bit of no because, you know, the Astros have been the best team in baseball for a while. And the Red Sox winning a ton of games. Uh, I don't think there's one right way to get there. You know, you can simply be the best team that clinched two months early or you can be the red-hot team that comes up lately. Like there are certainly narratives you can build around each one. Um, it is interesting the way that they got there, not only through the, the pitchers, as you mentioned, but through some of the creative teams. Like this was the Dodgers team that had won – uh, the most games in Los Angeles history, you know, and then they beat the very good Cardinals team, the very good Braves team, and now they've beaten arguably the best team we've seen in like 80 years in the Astros, even though they didn't win at all. Um, I don't know that there's any way to make a World Series title even sweeter, but if you want to do it, that's certainly one way to look at it. They did not ease their way in. They did not back their way in. They, they earned it for sure. Yeah, you need to put somewhere on that World Series ring. You beat two teams that won over – 105 games on the year. No one has ever done that before. Very, very impressive. Let's switch over to the Houston Astros. You know, they started this World Series with a lot of bad karma, and I do believe in karma. I don't know about you, but just with the way that the ALCS ended and what they were going in with, and I don't know how much it affected the players, but that's not the way you want to go into a World Series with a major controversy. No, certainly not. It was a, a really bad book for the Astros. Uh, everything about it was bad. The way it started, the way they handled it, you know, everything about it was just really poorly done. I'm not going to put too much of that on the reason why they lost. They still got to Game 7 of the World Series. Uh, they lost to a very good team that earned their way there. And my guess is that, you know, the players are not spending as much time on Twitter all day as the rest of us are. I right? would have to think A.J. Hinch did a pretty good job, uh, you know, keeping them focused um, they got to game seven. You know, at that point, it's it's a, a bad bounce here. It's a timely hit there. When I think about the reason they didn't lose, they didn't win, um, it's because, you know, Max Scherzer didn't look that sharp, and they had a ton of guys on base, and they just could not find that one big knockout punch hit. You know, everybody's going to point to uh, whether they should have left in Zach Greinke or not. To me, it's the offense did not get the hit in the first, second, third, or fourth inning that they very badly needed. Um, I'm sure the other stuff didn't help. Obviously, nobody wants that, but that's not the reason I think they didn't win the World Series. 
Do you think they're scratching their heads today, the fact that they didn't win the World Series and Garrett Cole never got into the game? Maybe, but I don't think that that's as important as some of the rest of it. Like, I would have put him in, um, assuming he was available, which, you know, only two days rest. We don't really know how he felt. I wouldn't have brought him in early Frankie. You know, as talented as he is, he's never pitched on two days rest. He's never come in with men on base. I don't like putting guys in situations like that. So I would have tried to get out of that inning. And then after that, yes, I was surprised for a clean inning that Cole didn't get in. But at that point, I'm not sure it was going to matter that much because the offense just wasn't really doing the damage they needed to do. So am I surprised? Yes. But, you know, Cole not entering is maybe like seventh on the list of reasons I think they lost that game. Yeah, no one knew Howie Kendrick was going to become Mr. October. That's something <laughs> not everybody saw going into uh, this postseason. When you think about Garrett Cole and the way he handled it after the game, obviously he wasn't thrilled that he didn't get in. Um, how do you think he handled where he's talking about after the game, he's not an employee anymore, he's wearing the Scott Boris hat. How do you think that went down for Garrett Cole after the game? It wasn't exactly subtle, was it? <laughs> you know, like, listen, he, he has earned the contract he's about to get. He's going to set records and make hundreds of millions of dollars, and nobody should begrudge him a penny of that. You know, he's worked hard to get here, uh, and he's obviously had a great season. That was a weird look. You know, it kind of feels like he's you know, tomorrow to do that, to do that, like, at that locker room immediately after the game. I guess it sends a signal that, you know, you're ready to move on. I don't know that that was a signal that necessarily needed to be sent at that exact moment. Um, but maybe that tells you a little bit about what he's looking for this winter. You know, not everybody wants the same thing. Some guys specifically want to play, you know, in this part of the country or for this coach or whatever. And some guys want every last cent. And if that's what he wants, it's great. More power to him. But uh, I guess if you're going to be a Scott Boris client, that's kind of what you're signing up for. Do you think the way he handled it, basically he signaled there's no way I'm coming back to Houston? I don't think so. If, if they are the ones that offer him the best deal, and obviously he's had success unless there are some persons that we don't know. I think I wouldn't rule them out if they make the best offer. I just don't expect them to be the team that does make the best offer. I think you know the Yankees obviously will do whatever they can to get him. Uh, if it's true he really does prefer to play out west, then clearly the Angels and Padres and Dodgers would have a, a huge need for him. I would not expect him to go back to Houston, but uh, I don't think I could sit here and rule it out either. Yeah, we've we've speculated that, obviously, with the Angels, knowing that he's from Orange County. Uh, his wife went to UCLA. She's from Pleasanton up here in the Bay Area. Obviously, everybody here knows up here her brother's Brandon Crawford. So uh, getting back to the West Coast could be – could be definitely what they're looking at. And then we always think about the, you know, the state tax in California for, for that bracket is 13.3% far more than anywhere else. But fans don't want to hear about that. It's a lot of money either way. If he does sign with the Angels, how much do you think that that truly changes with Otani going to be coming back? How much do you really think that could change the Los Angeles Angels? Probably not as much as you'd like it to. I mean, listen, any team – adding uh, arguably the best pitcher in baseball to definitely the best player in baseball and then also you know the most interesting player in Shohei Otani. Uh, it's a nice step forward, but this is a team that needs probably three starting pitchers and three relievers and a couple of bats, too. I mean, you know, at least somebody in the middle infield. And the Astros are still really, really good. Like, subtracting Cole uh, and adding Cole to the Angels would close the gap. But I, I have a hard time seeing them find a way to be the favorite in that division next year. It doesn't mean they shouldn't try. They should absolutely try. They need to win 
at least one playoff game with Mike Trout while that happened, but it's not going to be Cole alone who gets the job done. Let's end on this. What's the number one storyline beyond Garrett Cole that you're looking at this offseason? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think, you know, maybe this is a little New York-centric because of where I live, but uh, out here, all anybody can talk about is how the Yankees desperately need a starting pitcher, and it's, they want it to be Cole, but if it's not Cole, uh, what do they do? You know, I, if Strasburg stays in Washington and Cole goes out west, are they left with, you know, Madison Bumgarner, big name, but not quite the player he used to be. Same for Dallas Keuchel. It's tough to see where they go after that. So that's probably the thing I'll be watching the most. Hey, we always appreciate the time. Love reading you. Love watching you on MLB Network. Keep up the great work, and we'll be in touch soon. Thanks. Take care. Yeah. Interesting series. It really was. The scores, not so much, but the series, the intrigue, the scandal leading up to the series. You may never see another series like this again. Dave Jagler, who was play-by-play voice of the Nationals, we're going to, they have just landed, and we're heading to our nation's capital. Do we have Dave? Dave, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Congratulations. What a year for your Washington Nationals. Well, thanks. I feel like I'm a live reporter. I'm uh, calling you live from Dulles Airport. The Nationals are getting off the plane, uh, bringing the World Series trophy uh, down to the tarmac here, so it's like we're a live-action reporter. Oh, that is, to return home. that is awesome. So so how many how many Nats fans are there to greet you guys? Well, they're going to be a lot more at the ballpark. It's, it's a private terminal, so there's just a small group of probably about uh, 100 or so. But when we get back to the, the ballpark here, about a 45-minute ride downtown. That's going to probably be a sea of red uh, with the Nationals fans reading the team coming back from the road. What was it like day-to-day from, like, mid-May to winning the World Series? No one played better baseball. No one, no one won more games. What was that ride like with this ball club? Well, I mean, it was amazing because, I mean, you look, this team just wouldn't die. I mean, they were 19-31. and 31. Uh, on May the 24th, uh, you know, the, the, the postseason odds to win the National League pennant were 1% at that point, and they got off the mat, made the postseason. Then in the wild card game, they were four outs away from going home, facing Josh Hader, the top reliever in the National League. Then, then against the Dodgers, they were down two games to one, down three to one in game five. And then, of course, uh, facing the, the uh, juggernaut Houston Astros, down three games to two, having to win two games on the road, falling behind in both elimination games. It's an amazing run to see them in all five elimination games come back to win. It's, it's really an unprecedented uh, run for a single season and postseason They've to come that far off the mat to win a World Series championship. Yes, no doubt about it. And the names, the pitchers that they faced and uh, be the only team in the history of baseball to take down two different teams that won over 105 games and a World Series that you got to call where every single road team won I, I think in both of our careers there's a lot of things that happen in this world series we'll never see again yeah yeah i mean i think that this team falls under that category it's a special group and uh, to me you've got to credit the clubhouse chemistry this team had a special vibe about it they had fun playing with each other and so you had the nice mix of, of veteran players they were the oldest team fighting the major league you had the usual energy of a lot soda when it makes a robles who were in their young 20s and that, that just mixed so well that when they were in those precarious situations facing the tougher teams, they didn't care. They just felt, hey, we can go out and if we play our game, we'll find a way to win, even if they're losing late into the game. So 
So there, there was never a, a sense of stress when they were in, uh, in very tough situations that they found themselves over and over in the postseason. So, I mean, we, we've been around a lot of winning teams with the Nationals, but this is a unique group as far as the clubhouse chemistry. I think that served them very well throughout this journey in October. You know, you got a, quite a few A's on this ball club that, you know, we were really rooting for with Sean Doolittle and Kurt Suzuki and Fernando Rodney and, of course, our really good friend Chip Hale. And uh, we've talked to all of them, and it's amazing. Did you ever think a baby shark – YouTube video could bring a city together. Yeah, Gerardo Parra's uh, young daughter, I think she's three years old, she uh, she made the season. I mean, that, that just it didn't take long for that song to just grip National Park. And, and Parra and Anibal Sanchez, they were the ringleaders of the dugout fun and, and certainly the, the A's mix. I mean, Suzuki is a great clubhouse presence. I, I was really happy when the Nationals signed him back. He had come from Oakland to Washington in 2012. And obviously, Doolittle is a, a tremendous clubhouse person. And you know, Rodney brought some leadership to the bullpen uh, when he joined the team midseason. So it was not a good start to the year. But over the year, they, they, they plugged some holes. And those guys fit in very well into this group. And let's end on this because we appreciate the time. We know you're just getting off the plane. But, you know, when I think about the group and I think about the Astros, two veteran clubs relying on starting pitching, doing it more in an old-school way. Just how happy are you for the likes of Zimmerman and Strasburg and Scherzer and all the veteran players getting a World Series ring? Well, yeah, in particular, Zimmerman. He's been a part of every national season since 2005, and it, you know, it speaks to the organization. They built this organization on scouting, and there are, there are, you know, they, they do take analytics into account, but this is, a, this is an old-school organization, and generally – you know, winning franchises are the ones that are copied. So maybe a team that relies on starting pitching more than bullpenning and relies on a manager who goes with his gut rather than uh, kind of a predetermined script. You know, maybe there'll be a, a change back in that direction for the game, which may be for the good of the game, uh, because Nationals certainly lean toward that uh, methodology, and it proved very well. I mean, they, you know, you can't put an analytical value on clubhouse chemistry, but this team has it. Uh, from the veteran players, from, from finding a Howie Kendrick at age 36, who was the NLCS MVP and hit the, the go-ahead home run in the World Series. Uh, it's just uh, you can't really quantify uh, how the pieces came together to, to mesh uh, to be the, a very successful world championship team. Well, play-by-play -play guys are a big part of the process because you take us from the start of the season to the summer all the way to the end. Enjoy this one. Congratulations. You're getting a World Series ring. And uh, enjoy the parade. Enjoy everything that is winning a world's championship. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it's special. You know, you never know how many chances you get to do this in your career or if you're going to be part of something like this. So it's been a treat to, 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 be a, to have a front-row seat to a, to a bit of history, the first national uh the first world series champion in the nation's capital since 1924 that's something good that you really can't really grasp at this point maybe hopefully we will soon thank you dave my pleasure dave jagler play-by-play -play voice yeah the last time they had a championship a world series was in 1924 the senators 1924 where were you in 1924 good job cody got him right off the plane that was pretty cool God, we need to do that. Next year, 2020. I, I, I've been saying it. Th this core group can win a World Series before 2023 when we keep talking about we keep talking about the new ballpark. Well, you know, win before the new ballpark. I mean, bottom line. Anything can happen, but you got to believe it. Yes, you got to get in. 
But you got to believe, like Max Scherzer kept saying, all along I believe we should be here. So it wasn't like Max Scherzer was like, God, isn't it great to get in the wild card game? God, you know what? It's really nice that we're in the first round. You know, it's, hey, we're in the NLCS. Scherzer's been telling us we can win the World Series. You have to believe you can win the World Series. That has to be the goal. It should be the goal for everybody. But obviously, realistically, some teams are not trying. But for the teams who are trying, you know, that is the goal for the Astros. That is the goal for the Dodgers. That is the goal for the Yankees. It needs to be your goal in spring training. Gentlemen, we are here to want to do one thing, win a world's championship. Don't make your goal the wild card game. Because once you get to the wild card game, you've accomplished your goal. Don't make your goal the first round or the league champ. Make your goal the World Series championship. And we now bring on our Nats insider from the A's offices, the great professor, Matt Pearl, joining us. A man that used to work around the Nationals, produced Nationals television, grew up in the area. I got to tell you, from your run with the Capitals to now your run with the Nationals, I mean, uh, as a fan of the D.C. area, you're just on a you're on a you're on cloud nine. I think it was something like since 1998, we hadn't been in any sort of league championship of any sort, whether that was a conference, a champion, any, anything from 98 to literally uh, 2016 or 17. And now we've won three. If you count the Mystics, too, if you consider just the. Uh, the Nats and Caps, it's, uh, it's a pretty special time to be a, a Washingtonian. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly one for 35 years before my, my time out here. Yeah, because I think about, you know, the, you, you bring baseball back. And baseball had failed twice. And you bring baseball back. You bring the Expos over. And, you know, it's like people, eh, something like this changes your franchise for a long time. So now you're going to have guys that are your age. you got these young kids that are, I mean, it's like the Nationals. It's going to be great to see baseball truly grow and thrive in our nation's capital. Sure. I mean, having those years when, you know, when we first got there in D.C., it was, there was a lot of transplants and there was also quite a few of bad, you know, bad players in the team. It was hard to go out and buy a, you know, a jersey for one of these guys. I mean, there was some decent players, the Jose Guillens and the, the Jose Vidros and, um, you know, Zimmerman, of course. But, you know, going out and buying a John Lennon jersey was not that exciting. Um, <laughs> and then to kind of evolve into, you know, those bad years bearing the fruit of Bryce and, and Steven Strasburg and even Jordan Zimmerman, these guys, it really became clear that this they were building something. So you see those jerseys out in D.C. This is a whole other level. I mean, you're talking about kind of foundational youth baseball and, and the beginnings of really a uh, a significant growth trajectory for the for the Nats um, in 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 D.C., which is really dominated by by the Redskins. And uh, now that the Redskins are where they are, um, it it really opens up a, an opportunity for for the Nats to kind of take supremacy. Yeah, to kind of take you behind the curtain. So Matt used to produce national games on television, and like when Bryce Harper was supposedly maybe going to be a giant. There was people contacting him about Bryce Harper and how to handle Bryce Harper and everything. So as someone who was so close to it, kind of like we are with the A's, but you were so close to it, 
What was it like for you last night? I, I, I'm a little disappointed in that video you put on Twitter, but what was, <laughs> what, 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 yeah, white man can't jump. I think we saw that. But, but what was that like for you just internally to see that and knowing what it meant to everybody in D.C.? I mean, it was super special, and it was a really fun uh, night, and, and I had some fun posting that. I didn't even know my wife was recording it. Um, that being said, like going through now two straight – uh, full seasons and then another half season with the A's, it, it felt a little uh, disingenuous, to be honest. I was super happy and, and proud of this team that I had uh, you know, been a part of uh, for so many years, for four and a half years. Um, but really, you know, now I want that to be in green and gold. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on with you guys. It's like I want to experience that, that joy for my team now. Um, and you probably some people out there saying, how can you have two teams? You know, work work for two teams and see what it's like. Um, but I uh, I can't wait for that day for our our fans because it was really special for me just just to be a part of it last night. You yeah, we just had Dave Jagler on. He just got off the plane and they're 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 heading back to the stadium and kind of he was like I, I'm like you're on on field reporter there and the excitement that they're going to have you're going to have the parade and everything and, and to think that this all happened with Bryce Harper leaving for someone in division. It's really hard to put your arms around. You never would have thought that the team would win a championship without him. Is that strange for you? I mean, he seemed destined for that. And, you know, he's still, he's, what, 12 more years left on a contract to, to fulfill that. Um, it felt like they were building something together. These guys all won um, at the minor league level. I mean, that, that's that's a repeated narrative we, we see is can they win together, you know, in double A and then triple A and then do it here. So I thought, of course, Bryce would be part of it. Um, but he's a polarizing figure, and certainly his contract demands made, made the Nats balk a little bit. Um, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, one of the narratives that ran through that, that place was, hey, we got to win one for, for, Mark, uh, for Ted Lerner before you know, he's 94 years old. Um, and there was an urgency to do so, uh, both financially as well as on the field, and some of those years of heartbreak were – were only made worse by the fact that people wanted to win for him while he was alive and really the patriarch of the organization. Um, so for that reason, I think there was, there was certainly thought that Bryce would be a part of it and they'd open the bank up for him. Um, but they, they, you know, they used their money in, else, in other places, including Patrick Corbin, who, who was pretty good last night. So uh, it's, it's a, it's a pretty special storyline and I'm sure the Philly, uh, the Philly sports stations are having a field day as, as probably the DC stations are as well. Well, and now who won the Halloween contest inside the building? I was gone. I was actually at a meeting. Uh, But I'll tell you, everyone everyone really brought it, but we were all waiting for your Riddler costume. That was really a disappointment that you didn't broadcast from here today. Uh, I will be putting it out on Twitter a little bit later, right before we go trick-or-treating tonight. Strong. What, uh, What are your kids going as? Uh, they actually were the seven. They were a bunch of the girls at school got together. They were the seven dwarfs. And then now they're going to take those costumes off, and they're going to be M and M's. So they're going to do the twin. Cool. They're going to do the twin outfit. What are your girls going as? Shout out to my six-year-old daughter who's uh, going as Darth Vader. Big ups. <laughs> <laughs> and my uh, my eight-year-old's going as a cowgirl. So she uh, she's got a friend who she's doing it with. So we're very excited, but um, I'm terrified to see the impact of sugar on the Darth Vader costume. I'm, I'm actually very, I honestly, uh, uh, going at, where'd she get the idea to go as Vader? 
she's just she's into it, man. She's just big Star Wars girl, and I didn't put it in her brain. I've watched the movies with her, but she's this was just, she came out of nowhere with it. We were we were we were all for it. Now, are you the kind of parent that says we're going to trick or treat till you drop, or where are you on that? We'll do some treating. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll go around. They might get a little tired, and if uh, we get a couple cocktails in the interim while they're doing it, so be it. But uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll have some fun tonight. The only thing is, how do you get back up the hill? <laughs> we're uh, we're actually going to do it with neighbors down in the flatlands, not on <laughs> not on the, the the hill that is my street. So uh, we're staying we're staying flat tonight. Well, you know, for a lot of people out there, if you wonder, you know, because we've had so many people contact us. We've had so many different people when we're at the ballpark. Just come by and say thank you for us finally giving A's fans the coverage that they deserve. And to let everybody know who's listening right now, it's this guy who made it happen. It's this guy who was at the forefront of really what could be a change in Major League Baseball for many, many years. So for A's fans, if they want to thank somebody for, for making A's cast happen, it's you, my friend. I would say it would be all Mr. Giles and Mr. Cavill uh, and, and our ownership team that have made this happen, but I appreciate your kind words. Enjoy Halloween and congratulations on another title. Title Town, D.C. I appreciate it, Chris. All right, see ya. Bye. That's the professor, Matt Pearl. Are we going to be doing buying or selling? It's time for Buying or Selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Well, I wanted to play the audio, but I guess we won't. Bryce Harper saying we want to bring a title to D.C. Well, Bryce, you did it. You brought the title to D.C. You just weren't on the team. Uh, That that was that hit when he was introduced as a Philly. He made the mistake. In Florida, yeah. So let's just get right to it. Uh, who would have thought the Nationals would do all this when Bryce Harper was let go? They're now World Series champions. They got unlikely contributions from players like Azubel Cabrera, Howie Kendrick. Babe Ruth, Howie Kendrick. Yeah. Gerardo Parra. That's also, miss, that's also Mr. October to you. Him or George Springer, whichever everyone to look at. A lot of the money they saved to get those guys was uh, not re-signing Bryce Harper. And Bryce said, as I just mentioned, he wanted to win a title and bring it back to, D- to D.C., so buying or selling, the Nationals would have won the World Series with Bryce Harper. Selling. They had the chemistry. He wasn't a part of that chemistry. I'm being, I'm being honest. Something happened. You know, as, as Matt just said, he's a polarizing figure. You take him out of the clubhouse, did they take that? I'm not, I'm not saying he's a bad dude. I, I haven't heard people say he's a bad guy. But you take that big of a person out of the clubhouse – how much more did that make them a team? Yeah, you can. It definitely shows because look at how you know the camaraderie with them is so much different than it is. Look at Philadelphia. I mean, they collapsed second half of the season. They they all pretty much couldn't stand their manager, but we've also heard they like the manager. So who knows? But it was all because they took Bryce Harper out of the locker room. And I mean, I hate to say because Mike Trout seems like a good guy too, but the Angels don't want with Mike Trout, and he's a polarizing guy too. So no, he's not. He's a he's a great guy. No, that's what I mean. He is, but. They're not winning yet. I mean, he doesn't want a playoff. At least Bryce has won a playoff game. Well, I mean, I think you're putting too much on one guy as a player. I'm talking about it's about Bryce, who Bryce Harper was. That's the Bryce, the person. Yeah, Bryce was the type of you can't talk to him. He's a Boris guy. I mean, he was a big, 
you know, to where everybody will tell you trout salt of the earth. You know, someone you mentioned Scott Boris. Someone put this on Twitter earlier. They were talking about how Garrett Cole had the uh, Bryce, the uh, Scott Boris hat on. Yeah. Someone drew the thing saying that they think that he didn't actually really didn't enjoy his time in Houston. That's why he was so happy to put that you know put that Boris Wait, hat who on. Who said that? It was someone on Twitter. I, I have to go back and look. You believe everything you read no, on Twitter? But I mean, if it, as Jim Harbaugh once said, if it's on the internet, it must be true. Yeah. So, I'm, this is a quick one. I'm not going to run down any numbers on this, but. I was thinking about this because Bryce is what the Phillies needs. Twelve years left. Buyers buying or selling this. The Bryce Harper will win his first title before the Nats win another one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Oh wait, wait. I'll buy. Well, a lot of stock in Joe Girardi there, and Brian Price from the program. New wait, well, coach. he's got twelve years. I mean, the Nationals gonna. Scherzer's older. Strasburg is older. I'll buy. I'll give Bryce a little love. I'll give Bryce a title before his first title before the, the Nats win their second. Okay, so it wouldn't be in a uh, edition of buying or selling without Garrett Cole being in here. Let's see. If we can, I'm going to see if I can go every day without adding a Garrett Cole question. So Garrett Cole is going to become a free agent. We saw saw what happened last night. He can make $300 million. Let's all laugh because he probably will, but it probably won't be worth it. But the Astros could potentially resign him. But the other teams that want him are the Yankees. We all heard about the Angels. And maybe the Dodgers. But the Angels are most appealing because who do the Angels play on opening day next year? They play opening day in Houston to start the year. So buying or selling, Garrett Cole would pitching, pitching on opening day versus the Astros. I am buying. Artie Moreno's going to be all in. And that's the way he rolls. And I've always appreciated that about the Angels, is that they're always going to try and win. And you're going to try and bring him home. Yeah, I'm buying. How good would that be for opening day? So I'm switching to music going forward because I have a couple Halloween questions for buying. All right, so. quickly. So Retail Me Not did a survey on the best Halloween candy. Skittles came in sixth. Candy Corn came in fifth. Ugh. Snickers fourth. Right. Kit Kat third. Right. But it's, that's, a, that's, a tr- that's atrocious. Yeah. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups second. That's mine. M&M's first. They M&M's? won by 1% margin. Buying or selling M&M's are the most popular Halloween candy. I am selling that. You cannot tell me Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are not number one, even though my children are going as M&M's for trick-or-treating. I agree. I, I, I think it's a travesty that Kit Kat was third. But I spit on that list. Yeah. <laughs> one more Halloween one. Speaking of Halloween, it's time to talk music. When you think of Halloween music, what comes to mind? Uh, Friday the 13th. Or the Halloween theme. I think of Stranger Things. I don't know if you ever watched it on Netflix. I think of I Put a Spell on You, The Monster Mash, Thriller, Somebody's Watching Me, The Twilight Thriller, and Ghostbusters. But Thriller wasn't Halloween. I know, but everybody that does a Halloween playlist. No, you're right. It it is the movie Halloween. I don't have it because of, you know, music rights. That would only be good. Yeah. So buy, buying or selling, Ghostbusters is the most popular Halloween song. Selling? That's not even a Halloween thing. I'm going with the movie Halloween. Halloween's theme song is the I Think of Halloween. That's Jason. But that's not a song. That's just when people play it again. If you haven't seen Friday, this is what you start to hear when there's like, the girl or the guy, and they're like about to be killed. You hear? And then wham, he gets them. Or I, I just think of. Here's Johnny. 
How about every single time someone's running from Jason, they have to trip and fall multiple times? And he doesn't run. He fast walks and catches everybody. First time I saw Friday the 13th, I was a little kid, and it scared the you-know-what out of me. Frightened me. I was the, the first time I saw Halloween, Michael Myers. I mean, you watch that when you're – you shouldn't be – my brother made me watch those. You shouldn't be watching at those – I can't remember because they came out in, what, the 70s? There's no way I should have been watching that as a little kid. If Both of them freaked me out. They terrorized me. It's Halloween fun. Everybody be safe. First and foremost, be safe. Make sure you're watching. Look left, look right, both ways. Not not for him. He's not real. But look for cars. And everybody be safe and enjoy Halloween. Here's Johnny. That'll do it for A's Cast Live. We'll be back tomorrow from 1 to 4. Now we're going to replay this great show that you potentially missed right here on A's Cast powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.